How's it going, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite Swimbait Podcast, Scales and Tails, episode 67, 67 tonight. Yeah, had to had to make sure. I've recorded a lot of shows, and I haven't edited them at all, so like the numbers are kind of getting confused in my head, but officially number 67. Uh, we're joined by another bait maker. I think it's been a little while since we've had a bait maker on, I think, off the top of my head, but who knows? Oh, Gail with Burrito, I think, was the last bait maker we had on. That was episode 60, so... I'm going to try to kind of incorporate the bait makers because they're people too. They need the love. So I'm going to try to go like, you know, seven, ten episodes or, you know, just whenever I can fit them in because I, I enjoy talking to the bait makers because it's it's not something that everybody can do. It's a, it's a special, special thing. So today we are joined by Mr. Josh Plades. Plades, yep, said that right. Who uh, Who is the brain and the guy behind Clutch Swim Bait Company. Um, I will let him introduce himself and then we'll get the ball rolling from there. Man, I've got some big shoes, or I've got some big shoes to follow coming behind uh, Burrito Bates. Uh, yeah, <laughs> going from a guy that's been doing it forever to a guy that's fairly new on the, uh, I guess, I, Clutch Swim Bait Co's only been around a year and a half, so uh, or that I've actually been selling baits. Um, but yeah, so name's Josh Plates. I'm from uh, kind of western Missouri, right around the Kansas City area. Um, been making baits for three four years now selling them for a year and a half so yeah heck yeah dude uh being from the kansas city area are you going to be cheering for the chiefs this sunday well the, so, the game will already the game will already be over by the time everybody listens to this but are you a chiefs fan or are you not into football well so i am into football but my family is from the wisconsin area so i'm okay. a huge packer fan um so i mean i i'll root for the chiefs it's cool the kansas or kansas city kind of comes alive with them going to the Super Bowl and everything, yeah, so that's yeah. definitely kind of a little bit more of a Packer fan. What's uh, what's the take on Aaron Rodgers? Do you like the guy? I like him. I mean, obviously he's he's incredible at throwing a football. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, kind of ready for him to move on. Kind of not. I mean, you want one more year with him, but at the same time, I kind of understand the trade value that he brings and everything. So I don't know. I'm I'm torn between it. We'll see. Yeah, I. I mean, I I always thought he was kind of a goofy guy, you know. I feel like a lot of the northern quarterbacks are all goofy guys, like Matt Stafford, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, not necessarily Justin Fields, but uh, Trubisky. And, like, back then, like, all of them were kind of goofy. But the more I, like, hear uh, Aaron Rodgers on podcasts and stuff, I'm like, oh, like, this guy is super smart, and he's not, like, limited to football IQ. Like, he is a super cool guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I, could, I could have a beer with that guy, and I, I think I would have a really good time talking to him. <laughs> Oh yeah, he he goes so deep on all kinds of stuff, and I heard on one podcast somewhere that like their two minute drives aren't even actual plays. He just goes off the top of his head the entire two minute drill, and it's just crazy to think that someone's got that kind of skill that they're able to just do all of that off the top of their head. It's it's insane. Yeah, dude, I I like him. Uh, obviously, there's probably a lot of people who don't, but I just yeah, I see him and I'm like, oh, he's more than a quarterback. Like he is a very smart guy. He he uh, he's he has deep thoughts. And that's I I get behind people like that. It's always it's always intriguing to hear, you know, uh, a big name person share share their ideas, especially if it's uh, not necessarily like the common idea that you see a lot of people have. And I think that's definitely the type of guy that, like I said, that I could share a beer with. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. But uh, anyway, getting getting away from the football thing. Uh, yeah. Speaking speaking of beer tonight, this is episode. Hold on here, I got to see what episode this is as far as bass and buzz. I think it's been a little while since I've done one of these. Uh, I, I, 
I drink during the podcast, but it's not like I just only have like one just to kind of get the uh, public juices flowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get the uh, get the lips running. And sometimes like I, I have like a beer or two in the podcast and I feel like halfway through, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm just like rambling. And then people will text me and they're like, that was such a good interview. Like you've come so far since you began. You started doing this. And I'm like, oh, well, that must be a good thing, I guess. Like it's 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 friction. I guess it's uh, it's the personality friction is working. So this is actually episode eight of Bass and Buzz. We haven't done one of these since like the beginning of the year, January 2nd. So episode eight of Bass and Buzz. Uh, what are you drinking on this fine? What day is it? Two, Monday, Monday night, Monday afternoon. What are you drinking tonight? So I'm a bit of a bourbon guy. Um, if you watch some of my TikTok, Instagram, YouTube videos and stuff. You'll see my whiskey collection back there. Um, tonight, I'm drinking an Elijah Craig Toasted Barrel. Ooh. Yeah, it's a little bit lower proof, but kind of tastes like a like a campfire in a cup. So, pretty good. Heck yeah, man. I uh, I got two bottles of uh, of Johnny Walker Black Label for Christmas. And Ooh, stop it. Yeah, I have the last little bit in my, in my Yeti uh, cup tonight. So, I'll finish that off. There's just maybe just a swill or two left in there and it's it's pretty good i like it uh it's i don't know i i don't have like an extensive palate like i can't be like oh i i taste hints of caramel and i taste uh you know a bitterness of cocoa butter and all this it's just like yeah it tastes good or it doesn't taste good like that's that's where i draw the line really yeah that i've never been able to get into that scotch it always tastes like you're just licking on a side of a tree like you're tasting tree bark and the moss and everything i've never been able to get into it yeah, just dude, it, uh, mothy. it's it's harsh too like that uh mm-hmm. in my opinion it's pretty harsh to to sip on like that's not it's not something you're you're making a pretty tall drink with or mixing it or you know having multiple glasses of it it's like okay one and done like i have the taste yeah. that's cool it was a gentleman's drink and uh now i'm gonna go drink a beer or something yeah yeah for sure but uh, so episode eight of Bass and Buzz, episode 67 tonight. And uh, <clears throat> obviously, like I said, Josh is the guy behind Clutch Swim Bait Co. And uh, so I guess getting into it before the bait building and stuff, how did you get into fishing? When did this uh, sense of adventure and outdoors begin for you? So it's it's always been in my family. Um, my grandpa was a huge hunter, huge fisherman. My dad, huge hunter, huge fisherman. Um, as I said earlier, family's from Wisconsin. Um, I was born kind of in the Milwaukee area. Uh, and my first fish was actually, uh, a salmon out on Lake Michigan. They used to do a bunch of salmon fishing. They fished, uh, salmonorama all the time, um, and moved down to, to Kansas at a young age and did a lot of farm pond fishing and everything kind of dabbled in a lot of stuff, a little bit of crappie, a little bit of catfish and, I really didn't get hot and heavy into the bass. I mean, we always bass fished, but never really hot and heavy into the bass fishing until kind of that early college time frame. Yeah, um, yeah. I had a buddy that was big bass fisherman. And I mean, when you're trying to trying to do tournaments and stuff, you're trying to get an edge on everyone else. And it didn't take too long to start finding all kinds of swim bait uh, videos and everything and start incorporating like the S waivers and the HUDs and mag drafts and all that stuff into my fishing and it just kind of took off from there heck yeah man so growing up like you it i don't know like when guys think of the north i don't necessarily especially like when when people look in they're like oh you're a bass guy like i'm sure you grew up catching smallmouth and stuff and i'm kind of in the same boat as you that is not how i was brought up i was brought up uh 
my family I've touched on it before was a, is a huge line of river fishermen, you know, catching mm-hmm. steelhead, catching Sam. And it's funny that you're from like Wisconsin. So, you know, that like, uh, the, the, like the trout situation and stuff in like Michigan and how like local economies are, are very dependent on what that run of trout, salmon, steelhead, whatever is like that year, because some years like it's super good. And like mm-hmm. you have uh, a bus, your, your town, village, city is, is like super busing. Blah, like it's just busy. And like I've talked about it before, how Michigan relies so heavily on it. And I think like people are like, oh, OK, that that makes sense. But you you know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm sure you've yeah. seen like when when this trout, trout stock or salmon stockings and stuff like aren't super good. And you're not having people come down from like Chicago and stuff to fish. And it just it. I don't know, it's super weird to watch that grow up and then to kind of stumble into bass fishing, I feel like. Yeah, well, and it's just different fishing cultures, and those kind of fishing cultures are all across the country. Like, it, like the one that's around here is, is very different than the one that's in Tennessee. And then you've got the ones in uh, Wisconsin kind of area that are solely focused around, like, well, not solely focused, but a lot of it's around, like, fishing for consumption like they got fish fries every friday and like oh we got the walleye fries and everything like that and they got fried cheese curds and everything uh well tennessee is like solely around the tournament scene and everything and it's it's just kind of cool to see how that kind of culture shifts throughout the country but yeah the wisconsin the wisconsin one's really cool Dude, you will not believe how, like, when I talk to people, I obviously I know a lot of people around the country, and I, I mentioned, like, Friday Fish Fry, and they just look at me. Like, they have no, they cannot comprehend what I just said, and I'm like, that that's not a thing where you guys are. Like, you guys don't have fish fries at all the local bars and everything on Friday. They're, like, Friday nights, and they're like, no, like, that's not a thing here. I'm like, no shit. Like, that's, that's crazy to think. Like, that's just what I grew up knowing, pretty much. Yeah, it's like everyone goes to church on Sunday in Alabama. Everyone goes to the fish fries on Friday in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff. It's just, it's almost a religion there. Yeah, dude, exactly. And so you grow up in Wisconsin. And how old did you say you were when you got down to Kansas City? Or uh, I, was, I was really young. Um, I was around three or four. But, I mean, with family being up there, we, we go back and visit. Where we Growing up, we always just take vacations up there. Like, couple times a year we'd always go up to wisconsin and just visit and hang around for a while and then come on back down yeah so through high school did that kind of uh i guess we'll say fishing culture stick with you like would you go out and crappie or bluegill fish or had it been kind of become stagnant until you had gotten to college and kind of rekindled your your enjoyment for fishing uh for me it kind of did get a little bit stagnant um i mean it, i think i think probably everyone or a lot of people go through that. Uh, that was kind of before high school fishing, or at least I didn't do it back then. Um, yeah, I kind of got involved with some other stuff. And before that, it was always just kind of little farm pond stuff. Maybe we'd go out on the river and set lines for catfish or something. But it was always just kind of there, but it wasn't a priority, if that makes sense. Yeah, in do you think it, I mean, I'm sure it probably would have been different if you stayed living in Wisconsin, I'm sure throughout your, your adolescence into oh, yeah. kind of young boyhood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's much more of just a culture up there down here. It's pretty much just like, Oh, well we need crappie for, for frying up fish every once in a while. We'll go out to a little farm pond, catch some crappie and catch a bunch of bass doing it and all that fun stuff. So. Heck yeah, man. And so you touched on, it was when you got to college, you kind of got bit by the bass bug and that's when you started getting into it a little bit more. 
yeah i had a buddy that had his whole family had grown up uh bass fishing um and he did he did tournaments from a really really young age um it kind of it kind of backed off for him in high school and then he was i mean one day we're just kind of sitting around drinking some beers or something he's like hey man i used to be really into this bass fishing thing and we just kind of your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by leviathan rods leviathan rods is a texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end made in the usa rod blanks every sale from leviathan helps support foster youth and their families with leviathan rods you're not only going to feel a difference but you're going to help make a difference too Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. Started dipping our toe in it, and it just took off. So, yeah, that's kind of how, how the bass bug kind of started for me. Yeah, and so was this kind of like a learning thing for you? It, by the sounds of it, it didn't sound like you had necessarily targeted bass growing up so was it like oh my gosh like there is a whole like an encyclopedia on how to catch these silly green fish oh yeah so like i'm i'm very much an obsessive compulsive person once i start going down a rabbit hole it's just all in and just the maximum effort possible on that kind of deal um and yeah i i got obsessed with the tournament side of things started just hyper focusing on how to be better at that um so yeah that's just kind of i mean started doing youtube videos started watching bass university all that fun stuff just trying to trying to figure out how to be better at catching bass so that we can we can beat people in these tournaments yeah and so did you guys have like tournaments through the school or was it all just kind of like derbies and stuff with the locals that you guys were fishing no this was they didn't really have a college fishing club at the school at that time and it was just kind of joining a little local bass masters shout out to the east kansas bass masters um yeah just kind of fishing little club tournaments and stuff dang so i get i mean more or less you guys were fishing against i'm relatively speaking i would say a lot of of the weekend nighters uh yeah maybe not necessarily now but like back then i'm sure it was a lot of older guys who grew up in the area or who, you know, fish like every single day, if yep. I had to assume, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the guys, you got varying levels of guys in there. Some guys just, they do it to get away from the wives. Then some that are just absolutely obsessed with bass fishing. So good little mix of every, everything in there. And was that kind of eye-opening to you? Like, oh my gosh, like there is a culture surrounded surrounding this uh this little fishing thing that is kind of related to probably what you would see in wisconsin but just kind of on a different gear as far as bass fishing goes yeah um it's it's a lot different than than like the wisconsin fishing culture or anywhere else really it's it's not really it's not much of a culture it's just a kind of a group of guys that does this thing where we go out and go out and just fish little club tournaments. Kansas doesn't have really the best lakes for it. Uh they're very very much fish very much like fishing a lot of just farm glorified giant farm ponds basically. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Was uh was there ever times when you guys maybe when you guys got into it a little bit more after a year or two that you were like, "Oh, there is this tournament 
across the state line, like maybe we should go, you know, pool our money together and go try to fish that? Or did you guys stay in that local oh, yeah. scene for a while? Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of those like club tournaments kind of started dipping their toes into the Missouri lakes, which are a lot better. Um, they're a lot bigger. They fish more pattern like, uh, just a different kind of class of lake. One lakes that actually make you a better fisherman, unlike just going after the same spots over and over again. And that kind of just gave way to kind of dipping our toe in some bigger and bigger events. And yeah, just kind of scaled up from there. Just, it, it doesn't, there's not really any big point where it's just like, oh yeah, well, all of a sudden it's this big, big thing. It just kind of just slowly, gradually just got bigger and bigger and more and more part of, part of our lives, basically. Yeah. And at some point in time, did you think like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe we're doing this. Like, I can't believe we're spending this amount of money on this. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> on <this hobby. laughs> yeah. That's, that was, yeah. There's, there's been some part, points where it's just like, I can't believe we're, I, I can't believe that it's gotten to this point. It's, it's crazy to think that all of a sudden, oh, we're, we're fishing at this level doing this. And it's, yeah. I, rem I remember my first like 250 boat tournament, which to guys in like Alabama, Tennessee area, that doesn't sound like a lot. Around Missouri, Kansas area, two hundred and fifty boats is a lot. Like there's like BFLs and stuff are are around that range, and there's not much else around that range. Yeah, dude. Like that's. I mean, I fished. I won't lie. I've never fished a big tournament. I guess like like fifteen boats. I'm like, oh my gosh, this lake is so crowded. I could not imagine you know fishing one hundred and fifty plus boats. Like that's. That's mind blowing to me. That's that's a lot of water traffic. Yeah, and especially on those little lakes, or if the lake's fishing really small, that gets to be gets to be a lot. But if you fish something like Table Rock or Lake of the Ozarks, you can spread out a little bit. Um, and we've got big bass bashes that happen on Lake of the Ozarks where they give a hundred thousand dollars away to the fir first or to the biggest bass of the tournament, and man, every point has like two boats on it, and it's it's crazy. But it's hard to find a place to fish then. But yeah, that I think I can't remember exactly how many people they had enter it, but it was like fifteen hundred or something like that on one lake. It's it's an insane number of people on one lake. Yeah, dude, that's. Uh, did it ever scare you guys away um, fishing these bigger tournaments? And maybe maybe not necessarily scare you away on like a like a mental, I guess on a mental like competitive thing. But you were, were did you guys think like? How are we going to catch these fish that have seen, you know, uh, 600 boats drag something past it in the last month? Or was it just kind of like you guys were going out there just to have fun and catch fish and hopefully cash a check? Um, I mean, it coming from like the Kansas lakes, kind of fishing a lot of those. Uh, that not really because it, it's so spot oriented and everyone knows the same spot. Like uh, yeah. seems like every 15 minutes, blow the whistle and everyone take one rotation to your right to the next spot. Um, you learn that people don't really, you can't catch all the fish that are there. It's yeah. kind of what you learn. So, I mean, it, yes and no. I mean, you kind of get intimidated like, Oh, that dude's like a vacuum catches everything. But at the same time, you're like, well, you can't really catch everything at that spot. So, yeah. And you, I think you've kind of touched on it uh, when, when you were getting into the whole bass fishing thing, you, you had mentioned the swim baits, right? You'd seen that before or seen read about it or, or had like just seen it oh, in yeah. your research. Yeah. Uh, trying to remember if it was, I think it was 
maybe Polnick or something. He was throwing like a big mother or something like that. Some some giant bait and really what he's throwing that for bass and yeah you start kind of doing some research on there and then you start dipping your toes into the six inch mag drafts and the 68 special huds and all that fun stuff what year did what year was this like time orientated as far as like the stretch of time that you had learned about it and started getting into it if you remember off the top of your head i'm really bad when it comes to dates like that like remembering back to like oh it was this year uh i'd have to say probably 2013 2014 somewhere in there oh damn so yeah so it wasn't necessarily swim baiting wasn't necessarily underground but it wasn't nearly as mainstream as it is today that's for sure oh yeah it's definitely grown up um i'm trying to remember when tactical bassin really kind of got started it was definitely on kind of the earlier side of that okay yeah so probably around that 2014 around that 13 to 15 span i'm sure somewhere around there yeah i remember staying up late at night watching them rig their huds a special way with the the butch brown rig and everything and their explanation of that i remember i remember that right and even i mean man that was going on 10 years ago was there a lot of information out there i'm sure there was probably some bassmaster articles that touched on it but definitely didn't give away too much stuff and i'm sure like you said tactical bass and had stuff out there and maybe man dude i can't even butch i remember maybe had some videos out there was there a lot of stuff to pick from or was it still kind of uh primitive as far as trying to learn off the internet when i remember bass university being around and i cannot remember what seminar it was on there but there was someone talking about bigger baits um it was right around that time uh yeah i cannot remember off the top of my head which one that was but there was something around that time that kind of just intrigued me about it and made me go down that path right and so how long after you had seen that bass bass university video did you maybe not necessarily dedicate everything to it but that you kind of started dipping your toes in it was it right away or did it take you a little while to to figure out what you wanted or how you wanted to go about it oh yeah i think after a week after watching that video, I had an S waiver one sixty eight in the mail. <laughs> you try to yeah. figure it out, an old light yeah. trout or something like that. That's so sick. And uh, guys, guys will talk about how when they first start, uh, they get discouraged because they don't see results right away. What was your takeaway from when you first got into it? Were you just smashing fish? Was it a new thing, kind of? In We'll we'll just say in the Ozark area because that just kind of is a whole f- whole umbrella term yeah. for you guys. Was it was it something new to those fish, or had guys been like low key doing it and they they weren't like virgin waters? I guess. I I guess I really don't know. I don't know how much that big bait deal had kind of been in the area. I know for me, I got really lucky and like within the first hour of throwing it, I stuck like a four pounder, and it was like, oh, this is awesome. This works awesome, and. I just was kind of running through my mind like about all the different applications and stuff where I could potentially use it. And uh I mean, yeah, it just it just kind of took off from there basically. I, I'm not quite sure how how much pressure our bodies of water really had that big bait exposure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean I would say you probably figure if you have if you're having big tournaments like you talked about, uh, or just like tournaments in general, especially on like big water, a lot of guys are fishing. I would say it's safe to assume that 
you know, they've seen a couple big baits uh, relative to today where they definitely have seen a couple big baits. Like mm-hmm. it was still probably a pretty untapped gold mine, I would assume out there. Oh yeah. It's definitely getting, it's definitely way tougher now to catch a fish on a big bait than it was back then. 100%. Dude, it, uh, I mean, I, I could be the luckiest person ever because I come from an area and I live in an area now too, where it, uh, the price tag and the, the, the stuff that comes with it, I guess is what we'll say, you know, the big, bigger fish and, and that sort of thing it doesn't resonate with, with people in the areas I've lived and where I grew up at and stuff. And I will say that does make me the luckiest person ever because I've never gone out and I've never seen anybody, you know, fishing a TK or fishing a hut or anything. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of when people, when that starts to happen, you know, that's when the horror story starts. That's when a lot of guys on the show say like, Oh yeah, I went out, you know, two years after I got into it and I saw a guy fishing a Huddleston and it just took off from there. And, you know, that, that day of reckoning really hasn't been tapped. I mean, honestly, in the state of Michigan, there's not a lot of guys who do it here. I could, I could count on, we'll say two hands. I could count probably a dozen, half a dozen to a dozen guys who do it. And it's, by the way, everybody says it's just a matter of time. And I've been fortunate enough yeah. that it hasn't been that time yet. And I'm like, oh, man, I am so lucky when it comes to that. Those toothy critters have to be the biggest, like, blessing and a curse there is because like everyone's probably afraid to throw yeah $150 bait across something because they're worried a northern's going to come across and just snag it uh yeah. so it probably helps the bass fishing from that aspect but yeah i bet you bet you lose your fair share of baits from them them, to, them as well honestly i i've lost more bait i've lost one bait to a bass i've never Knock, knocking on wood right there, knocking on my desk. I've never lost one to a pike. and But, like, you you hit the nail on the head. I know some die-hard bass fishing guys, and they won't drop $25 on a Vision 110 because they know it's just an amount of time until a pike snaps it off. And so, yep. you know, you make, that, you make that leap where it's it's five times as much as a 110, and guys are like, ah, no, I, I don't really want to do that. And, you know, uh, pike are categorized musky, super aggressive fish, but... You know, it takes a really aggressive fish to choke down a six, seven, eight inch bait enough to get to your line tie and, and cut your line. Or, you know, yeah. it could be super unlucky, but I've been pretty lucky in that aspect. And it's kind of nice that there's that stigma there because I definitely think it's kind of a kind of a shield, like a knight in shining armor to the state of Michigan swim bait guys. Yeah. So we've got one lake locally that has musky in it. And I'm probably going to kick myself in the butt for talking about this, but that is the one of the best big lake or big bait lakes in the area just because no one wants to throw their glide baits or big swim baits there just because they're worried that the muskie are going to take them and yeah it's it's a really really good big bait lake and like you said i've i've never really had a muskie steal one they just it hasn't happened yeah, you better be knocking on your desk too. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might want to mute that part out. We don't need those Ozark guys knowing about that. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> we we're talking two thousand, you know, early two thousand tens times when you yeah. get into it, you catch that first fish, that four four and a half pounder. What did that do to not only your confidence but kind of like your tournament fishing as a whole? Did that jumpstart like a whole new uh, mindset for for your style of fishing? Oh yeah. For sure. Like it, yeah. 
once it it initially started out with that whole like oh yeah once we have five in the box we'll go hunting and from there i kind of i kind of learned that that's that's kind of bs like you're gonna miss some of your best big bait windows if you operate under that mindset like it it developed pretty quickly into like, look, you've got to you've got to sample these baits throughout the day. Like, you got to give yourself a chance to get lucky. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for like, sure. Yeah, that's that's got to be the biggest misconception, or in my mind, the biggest misconception that I hear so much from tournament guys is like, oh yeah, this is a bait for once I have five. No, like if especially if you're not fishing for points, like you might as well start throwing that thing earlier. If if they're gonna if they're on it that day. You want to know about it as soon as possible because yeah. if you catch five on a big old glide bait, like you're fishing to win. Where yeah, it, dude. Yeah, yeah, you're it. It's different than fishing for fishing for a check. Like, and it and you'll you'll know pretty quick, especially with live scope and everything. Now, throw one or two of them over a pile, and they just come up and look at it. Like, okay, we'll put that down and fish something else the rest of the day, and maybe sample it a little bit more throughout the day, but. For the yeah, most part, dude. you know pretty quick whether they're they're on it or they're not. Exactly, and that's kind of I I've talked about it before. I I tournament fish, but I don't have a boat or anything. I just go when I'm invited, or you yeah. know, when when somebody's like, oh, yeah, so and so, my usual guy can't make it. Do you want to come out and fish? I'm like, sure, and you know, I don't even say anything. It's always when I get invited, they're like, okay, well, if you want, dude, like fish the swim bait the whole day. I don't care. I'll I'll catch our three, four, five. He's like, I just catch one, just catch one, and I'll be happy. And uh, it's kind of like the the uh, you know the default responsibility. I feel like if if you fish swim baits and maybe your co angler doesn't or your your buddy, and they kind of they lean on you for for like you said that kicker. And it's nice when when somebody believes that the that bait can do so much, and they're like, okay, I'll I'll do the you know I'll do the little lifting. You just catch at least one decent size one. And I'll I'll do the rest. I'll catch the limit. I just want you to put in the time, and I want you to at least get some good bites that maybe nobody else in the tournament will do. And so that's that's something that's what I like about tournament fishing is when when my partner tells me that because I'm like, okay, it's just a normal day fishing for me. Like it doesn't feel like it's a competition now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I I don't know. I I look at that like so. Luck's a weird thing. Like you get luckier the more chances or the more times you push yourself in an opportunity to get lucky. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, dude, for like, sure. I, I've kind of gone on the fishing, like one man tournaments and stuff now where you're not necessarily with a team and like, it, it'd be awesome if, if I could just dedicate all day to throwing a big bait, but realistically that's, I mean, it's, it's a tool. You're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go out and win every single tournament on a big bait most of the time. Um, but like I, I look at it like, look, you you roll up to a bluff end, you kind of see, okay, that's a high percentage chance that there's a big one there. Throw it across it and one two cast, and you're on to doing something else. So it blends like big bait fishing just seems to blend so well with fishing a pattern where you're like, yeah, you're just giving yourself little opportunities throughout the day for yourself to get lucky to catch that giant fish and something that can really make or break your day unless they're just absolutely on it then you just throw it all day long but yeah yeah and that's like i i really lucked out from where i grew up like i had fished a lot of the lakes very religiously and i i knew that there was not an established swim bait bite as far as like being blown out and i knew that i was the only one out there and i had a pretty damn good idea on what these fish were doing and towards towards the end before i had moved everybody at the tournament knew 
knew what I what what my game plan was. Fishing this one lake that dumps into Lake Michigan or Lake Michigan dumps into it, whatever, however yeah. you want to say it. You know, I we'd pull up there and after a while they started putting the rule in place that you couldn't pass the seawall, you couldn't pass the Lake Michigan beach because <laughs> I was catching a lot of fish there. But it really didn't matter. Like it was it was such an established thing that I mean, you could go out there and you could catch two or three fish. It was it was no big deal on a ten, eleven inch glide. And then like kind of transitioning down to here where I don't know the waters at all. It's it's not necessarily hesitant, but it's like, okay, like I'm going to have to work a lot more with this swim bait than I would up at home. If, if it's not my home lake, like, yeah, I, uh, you, you got to figure out those fish. Like if you, if you were fishing a home body of water and you know how those fish are wired, then obviously I, I am more prone to, to picking up the swim bait and grinding with that majority of the time we're out there. Yeah. So did you, did you start towards the Northern part of the state and kind of move South or you? Yeah. So I, okay. where did you say you, you guys used to live in Wisconsin? Uh, down by Milwaukee. But my grandparents now live north of Green Bay by a little bit. Okay, so I am, like, directly east of Green Bay. So, uh, Okay. So the Badger, I live, like, I used to live, like, 30 minutes from where the Badger used to go out of over to Wisconsin. Okay. I got gotcha. you. So, yeah, so I grew up fishing all of those, the Great Lake-fed uh, lakes, I guess is what you'd say, in like, I don't know, man, that's that's where I grew up, that's where I cut my teeth, and that's where I learned that... These fish, man, if if you can replicate with whatever they're like targeting for for that season, like you can do some damage. You know, taxi or not taxi trout imitating baits were just a staple up there because whether whether they were chasing trout or chasing alewife or uh, gobies was the big thing. They saw that bait. They had no idea that it was made out of resin and and you know uh, hooks. Like they would just they would clobber that thing. And like I said, I was just blessed that it wasn't a mainstream thing where I lived or in the state of Michigan in general, because that bite was just, that bite was like my secret thing. Like it was only the thing that I could replicate, which was so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think I've got family. I think they're, they live in Muskegon. Yeah. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's kind of where I am now. So they're, okay. they're probably like 50 minutes west and then uh probably a handful of miles up the lakeshore north north a little bit so where i'm at now i'm in grand rapids which is kind of like smack dabish in the middle of the state so yeah. i really gave up the, the the lake michigan stuff to kind of now tr uh river creek fishing for smallmouth which is cool but you know i if i had the chance i would be fishing lake michigan every single day yeah cool yeah. Little michigan geography for, for listeners yeah, it's it's nice because like I I kind of know how Wisconsin sets up and I really know how Michigan sets up and you know I've had I've had Stephen Clipper who's a guy from British Columbia dude before he came on I thought British Columbia was on like the East Coast I didn't I had no idea it was above Washington like <laughs> it's uh it's it's fun to talk to guys and to hear like how their fishing sets up or you know how far they have to travel for water and it's like wow like I really have it that good here it's it's kind of a blessing for sure hearing other oh, yeah. people's like experiences you guys in those northern northern states have got lakes and creeks and fishable water everywhere like yeah down down here you've you got to drive a little bit to to get some good fishing and then you've got some lakes that are just absolutely horrible horrible and you got to drive even further to get to the to the better stuff i do that that's so freaking brutal but we uh, just getting back, getting back onto the, the bait making side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, you know, rabbit holes, man. We fall down oh. from a lot on scales and tails, but that's okay. Sure this isn't the first one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It won't be the last one either. So um, you get into swim bait fishing 2013, 2015, you know, you, you do some tournaments and stuff. When did you, ha- had you always liked creating stuff, whether that be fishing lures, were you kind of a person that liked to, to, uh, to do stuff with their hands or did that come later in life for you? Oh yeah. Like, I mean, even back to high school, I was in like woods class and metals and everything. And, um, I mean, I was, I was in a duck hunting pretty hot and heavy there for a while. I made my own layout boats out of an old jet ski hole, uh, made my own jigs for bass fishing. Just, yeah, I've, I've always been a tinker, always been someone that just likes making their own stuff. That's so sick, dude. And so when how long after you you got like that 168 when did it kind of click in your head like oh like uh maybe maybe i could kind of put my own twist on on a glide bait and i could make my own out of a block of wood it was a couple years later um kind of got got in an area where i can actually start having my own shop and everything uh yeah have my own kind of workspace and then yeah started started messing around with that uh just kind of wanted to see if i could make my own my own glide bait uh i like i said fished them a ton and everything uh started kind of whittling out of a block of wood uh the first one i ever did was pine oh wow (laughs) yeah it was was crazy i think i just had a block of pine laying around i was like oh yeah let's just see what what happens if i start messing around with this and i mean it 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 worked as about as good as you'd think a first glide would work. Uh, when you snap, <laughs> it, it turns out if you put a joint in a in a block of wood and you pop your rod, it will move. But yeah, yeah, getting it to actually work like a like a glide bait should yeah. requires a ton, a ton, a ton of time and just trial and error and failing and just the the amount of times that like you let you be awake in the middle of the night just thinking like why will this thing not move the way i want it to oh uh, yeah yeah it's 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 a lot <laughs> there's a there's a lot of time there and a lot of a lot of failure in order to get it to work right yeah dude and that's uh you know that that's like the big thing that's what makes in my opinion like that's what makes bait building so hard is you have to you have to learn why is this thing doing this? Oh, it's because uh, it, it does. It has a flared gill plate. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But why is it not doing this? Oh, it doesn't have enough weight in the second joint. Like, it's it's yep. little stuff. And I I don't know if people comprehend that when they wake up one morning and decide that they want to make a bait. Like, obviously, anybody anybody that's willing and able to can make a bait. But yep. off the bat, like you said, it's it's gonna be ugly, and you're gonna have to really refine it, and you're gonna you're gonna have to learn the physics on why stuff does what it does, and you're gonna have to go from yep. there. And it's and I, a lot of trial and error. That's just all it comes down to, I guess. Yeah, and to get a little controversial here, uh, there's there's a lot of bait builders out there that are like they they make up a prototype one and. They move their rod and it kind of twitches like what they think a glide bait should, and they roll with it and start selling them. Like you, I've I've seen a lot of your memes and stuff about the the brush tail glides. Yeah, and it's it's the same thing. I mean, I I I make a brush tail glide. I mean, I I know that there's 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 probably those questions 
out there about whether I fall into that category or not. And like, I mean, just the, the amount of the amount of time and research that it takes to go into building a glide that works like it should is just, it's, it's insane. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the reason I, I stick with a brush tail glide, so I've, I've done rubber tail glides. Um, the reason I stick with a brush tail glide is I, I like the way that brush flares when you stop the bait. I think it gets you more bites. Like, yeah, that, we talked that, about that. Yeah, that, that rubber tail just kind of, it doesn't collapse like it should. Like, if, if you watch a, like a bait fish swim through the water and it just kind of stops, those fins kind of just flare right. out a little bit. Yeah, it's like a, pe- it it's like a pe- uh, peacock. Like it, like the, yeah. the kind of like fans out almost. Yeah, and I, I've, it, it's, it's almost like that secondary action, like that, that little secondary action. I think is just that split second that can mean the difference between a fish biting and a fish not biting. Now, I mean, is is a brush tail easier to do from a beginner standpoint? Absolutely, but. It definitely it's popular for a reason, and it's because it it really right. does help get more bites. At least in my region, at least in the Ozark area, I truly believe that a brush tail glide will get like way more bites than a kind of rubbery tail glide. Yeah, and that's and, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and that's just from personal experience. That's just, yeah. and it's it's almost a confidence thing for me at this point. And I know, I know, I make those memes about brush tail glides and stuff, but. Honestly, like a brush tail is a lot more stress resistant than a rubber tail. Like I've I've never had a I've never had a brush tail get ripped out or anything, you know. Yeah. It it I don't know. Like rubber tails, if, I mean this is something completely different, but like with huds and stuff, you you bend tails or even on S waivers, like if that hard plastic tail gets bent, you're not necessarily SOL, but you definitely you gotta put some work into getting it straight again. You know, brush tails, yeah. if it gets bent, you you bend it back and it's pretty much good to go for the most part yeah and if 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 someone's using not the right fibers uh i mean you can get some really bad splint splint in type situations and it can really kind of puff out almost um i've actually got some boxes coming uh i've been using this one kind of box for a long time and uh it just holds your bait super super steady and uh it's perfect for that brush tail kind of glide Whether whether you're throwing my stuff, whether you're throwing the KGB stuff, whether you're throwing a hyper shad, like if, if you use that big roll up, uh, kind of bag that I know a lot of people use, like I I've never really been a big fan of that. Um, it just, it kind of rolls them over a little bit and kind of makes your tails not really looking great, but I've got a box coming. It'll be here in a week or so. Uh, and yeah, that that's, that's the best method I've found for, for uh storing those glides and i'm I'm gonna try to keep them very very affordable and just reasonable for for guys that want to do something like that oh yeah dude that is so sick and it's funny it's funny that you kind of uh you had mentioned the bait wrap up wraps and how that's not necessarily your thing because i have one i have uh it's it's an old one i don't even know if mm-hmm. uh, i surrender bait wrap i don't know if they're still around but it's uh it's a it's a big ass wrap i think it's like uh six or seven pockets on each side, super big yep. wrap. And uh, in in hindsight, super sick idea. Uh, I really like it. So, like when I bought it, you know, <laughs> dude, it's been like four or five years, super good idea and stuff. But what I realized is 
you can't have very many big baits into a wrap or else it won't Velcro, which is yeah. whatever. That, that's avoidable. But the other thing is, like, if you're fishing, this is a very niche thing, but if you're fishing, like, a river or, you know, you're fishing, like, a heavy, thick bank on, on the bank and, like, you're waiting or whatever, if you're not in a boat, there can be times that it's a pain in the ass to unwrap this three foot oh, bait yeah. cap, unfold it uh open up the velcro grab the bait without the baits in your pocket falling out putting the old bait in there and then you also kind of have to worry about that stuff rusting if it's not really that kind of breathable material like that's it's it's in a box like it, it's like a box in that sense like i don't know dude wraps are super cool like if you're a kayak guy or paddleboard or even like i said in a boat you can just throw it in your rod locker or in a backpack or something but there's definitely a time and place like those big ones i feel like a majority of the time don't have a place unless you have an empty boat deck that you can roll it out on. Yeah. And I mean, it all boils down to personal preference. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, people are going to like using different stuff. Uh, these, these boxes I've got are going to be, I mean, they're fairly small. They're smaller than a 3,700 size. Uh, I can fit four OGs in them. Um, I think it fits like six of the darters. Uh, and I think two or three of the bosses, they're not, they're not super huge, but they're, they keep everything just super, super together. Um, keep everything tight in there so that they're not moving around a lot. Uh, and yeah, they're 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 watertight. Um, yeah, so dude. if you, if you put a wet bait in there, it does have the potential to rust. But yeah, you know, throw some uh, throw some of those like silicon packets in there. I mean, I'm sure be good yeah. to go. Like to those Z rust, whatever. Like Mike Iaconelli makes yeah. whoever he works with. I'm sure those would help a lot too. So I think you can buy those in bulk off Amazon or something. I might need yeah. looking just throwing throwing a couple of those in there just to make sure that there's no rust issues. Hell yeah, dude! And so, well, kind of circling back, you know, rabbit holes and yeah. such. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how long from when you would first started? You started with that, you know, that that awesome piece of pine that you started with. Oh yeah. When did when did that <laughs> bait and how much refining until? It kind of took the shape of uh, of of that OG glide that you have now. Oh, a lot. Um, there was there was a ton, a ton, a ton of uh, carvings. I mean, I'm not the greatest with a chisel um, and like carving stuff, and a lot of blood blisters, and yeah, a lot of blood went into the OG. <laughs> a lot of a lot of mess ups on the old carving side of things. Um, but there was a ton of prototypes there's a ton of different sizes and everything um and really just there, there'd be some that i didn't like how it swam or some that just wouldn't get the attention from fish and that's kind of what the the big driving factor behind the og was was just the response it had from just all of the fish in the water like i i had a bunch of baits and stuff that just they look cool in the water they'd swim nice but they just wouldn't get bit um and the OG, it got bit. Uh, I knew the very first cast that I that I made with that original prototype of the OG, like I knew I was onto something initially because like I threw it just short little cast, and there was like 150 bluegill that just followed it back, just a swarm of them. And I was like, all right, this that's interesting. And then all of a sudden, just started catching bass with it. And it it yeah, for whatever reason, that profile. And that size just had the best effect on the fish out of anything else that I did leading up to that. Yeah, dude. And, uh, you know, talking about the carving it, uh, I, I used to carve pike spearing decoys, you know, 
Michigan thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It uh, you know, carving like you like you talked about the blisters and stuff, like that takes a lot of work. Like you you bust up your hands doing that. You know, skip over the bait and hit your hit your pointer finger on your left hand that's holding the bait oh, yeah. and even just like get <laughs> getting that hard callus right in the center of your thumb, depending on how you carve. Like it's uh it's kind of like physically demanding low key. Like it beats you up for sure. Yeah, that's why I do all CAD stuff now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely the way to go. And it's that's kind of how I'm not going to say that's like where it's going, but you definitely see a lot more guys uh, getting away from carving and kind of take, taking that cat out because it it's there for their disposal. Like, it's like, why would I, you know, spend, I'm not even going to act like I know how long it takes to carve a bait. Why would I spend X amount of time when I can, you know, hire somebody and give them my ideas, give them a detailed drawing with sizes and stuff and boom. It's done, and if if it needs to be switched up, then I'll just make slight changes, and we'll just we'll go back to the drawing board. Like it's it's yeah. kind of crazy. I had uh, Cody Kirk on last night, who you guys hear before this episode airs. But him and I were talking about technology, about forward facing sonar and stuff. And you know, to cut that conversation short, it was technology always has a way to win, and I think that's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of where we're going. And it's not a bad thing, I don't think, but it's also. Like, okay, maybe, maybe this will open up the door for a lot more people, which, you know, breeds innovation. So that might not be a bad thing either. It just depends on glasses half full or if it's half empty. It just, it's, it's how you perceive it, I guess. See from the thing with, so I do all my own CAD work. I come from that background. Uh, I'm able to have the CAD drafting software on my computer. I just transferred over the 3d printer and I'm I'm able to prototype at such a fast rate. And I mean, so this the uh, new boss that I'm about to release here soon. I've I've got it some shows and stuff, but uh, that thing I've gone through twenty three, twenty four designs specifically about the tail. The head's completely different story, but like the tail, I went through twenty three, twenty four different revisions on the tail alone just to get it right. Like it. It seemed like every time I'd come up with like a different tweak, there'd be something else that kind of came up that I didn't like about it. And the profile of it is it's way thinner than a lot of things that are out there. Like it it's it's for its size, it's crazy thin, which makes it just a nightmare to deal with. If I made it fatter, it it'd swim way wider, it wouldn't have been such a pain to deal with. But I really wanted that thinner profile with this bait. And it there, there's a reason they they absolutely respond to it. They bite it. It's it's a crazy good bait. It just it required a ton of refining and a ton of just like looking at it and just ton of different prototypes in order to get it to act exactly how I wanted it to. Yeah, and was that for the darter you were talking about? No, that's the that's the new boss. Okay, um, okay, which boss. is kind of a gizzard profile. Um, it's just shy of a ten inch bait. Okay. Uh, but it's it's about the thickness of a darter. It's it's very thin. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally, generally, when it comes to that bait design and stuff, the the easier the easier it is to get a bait to swim. Usually, it's a little bit blockier, a little bit just the more yeah. resin that's there seems to be the easier easier you can get it to swim right. And I did not take the easy road on that bait. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll kind of talk about your your OG glide is. Yeah. How many times have you refined that thing to get it where it is as of uh, February 6, 2023? How long has it taken you to get to where it is now? Oh, it's it's a work in progress. All my baits still are. Like, 
I'm every six months I take some time off to like go back over my baits, look at them, figure out how I can make it better. Because as a bait maker, I'm constantly learning. I'm always figuring out better ways to make a bait work. I'm always figuring out different tricks for waiting in order to get it to act a different way. Like, like I said, every six months I make it a point to break down the baits, start from scratch and figure out if I can make it better. So yeah, I mean, every six months from when the OG started, it's, it's being a different bait. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how, how long ago did it start to get a timeline? Uh, like, oh, you're bad with dates. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two and a half, three years ago or so. Oh, wow. Okay. That initial carving took place. Damn, dude. So you're, you're essentially on, you know, eight through nine draft of, of where it's at currently. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's a, if you look at the original OG that I started clutch with, uh-huh. like the one now is just a little bit thinner. Um, I got rid of that weird kind of little mark on the gill plate. Didn't need that anymore. Right. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, if you hold one side by side, you can really see a difference in the bait. Um, I think now it looks a little bit more professional. Um, yeah. That really doesn't help anything from a, from a performance <laughs> standpoint, but to right. me it's, it's better. Um, yeah. Just little tweaks here and there that have just made it a better bait. Right. That first, uh, that first take of the OG, was that all carved uh, clay poured resin or was that CAD CAD work back? That then? was the OG is not CAD. Okay. Um, I need that's that's one of the areas that I'm eventually going to kind of grow into is uh-huh. getting 3D scanners, getting that imported into CAD, kind of refining yeah. it down and everything, yeah, and making it perfectly symmetrical. Because right now it's it's not perfectly symmetrical. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the best baits on the market are aren't necessarily perfectly just symmetrical. They're not. They're not. Yeah, if, if that makes sense. Like, oh yeah, for there, sure. There's there's an art to being imperfect, and I think that's that's what I've been I've been messing around with with the OG. Like, I mean, if you look at the the fins on the side, like the fins aren't perfectly identical on each side of the bait, um, and that's just kind of showing the that it kind of goes back to that original hand carve thing. It's just like, it's, it's not a perfectly symmetrical bait, but that's okay. It still catches a, I mean, it, it's, it's the bait. I have the most confidence in, um, when I absolutely need to get a bite, I pick up the OG. Yeah. And that kind of, that, what you said earlier, bottles, bottle scales and tails is there's, there's an art to imperfection because, you know, show the show is perfect. They're far from perfect, but you know, it's, it's just kind of, that thing where it's like oh well that's just how it is like <laughs> you just sometimes you gotta, when a bait is absolutely perfect or something is absolutely perfect it takes away from the magic of what makes that thing awesome yeah for sure like yeah, yeah. it's like it's, uh, it's, you have like when they, when they remake movies or shows like uh, i i used to like that 70s show and you know netflix came yeah. out that, that new one and i started to watch it and i dude i got through the first episode and i was like what the hell is this like i can i cannot watch this and it that goes with like movies too like you have all these yeah. older movies that they're starting to remake or you know adding on to and it's like what you guys should have just left this alone like it was fine how it was like it doesn't it doesn't need a modern twist to it like it was it was perfectly okay like the ghostbusters remake yeah <laughs> it's 
dude, there's just all sorts of stuff like that. It's like, there's a point in time where just leave it alone. Like people cherish it for what it was. You don't need to go through and polish it. Like it's, it's just how it was. (laughs) So the one objection to that is the new Top Gun. I think the new Top Gun is arguably better than the old one. <laughs> Dude, I, I will say I might get, you know, burned at the stake for this. I haven't seen either of them. Really? So, yeah, okay. Yeah. Paramount Plus. Um, you don't have to have a subscription to it. You can just go okay. on there and watch. It's going to have ads. It is, it's an awesome movie. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know. Like, my parents never, like, came from, a, like, a movie-watching yeah, families, I guess, and so that kind of trickled down to me. Like, I I watched like some of the old classics. Like, I I've seen all the He Man, you know, TV episodes. I've seen all the old Ninja Turtle episodes, and I've seen the Ninja Turtle movies and stuff. And it just kind of never trickled down to, you know, that little I guess live action stuff. But yeah, it's like I, I know I I love some of the older movies. Like American Psycho is a super good one. Um, no Country for Old Men. I don't know how old that movie is, but that's a super good one. It's so like I, as as I'm getting older, I'm kind of like, you know, dipping my toes into the older stuff. I'm like, wow, like I can't believe we made a new version of this. Like it's just, it's crazy, man. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, back. back yeah, rabbit another holes. rabbit hole. <laughs> but uh, okay, so the OG. So you've been working on that for you said two or three years for a good amount of time. Yep. Do you remember the first fish you caught on your own bait? Uh, or first memorable fish, I should say. I remember the first memorable fish that my buddy caught on my bait. <laughs> I'm trying to remember my first fish on my, my own bait. Uh, well, even, even if you can't remember, what was, what was it like to watch your buddy catch a fish on a bait that you, you worked so hard to, to make, to design? Yeah, it's, 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 it's honestly like winning a tournament every single time I get a picture in of an absolute giant. Or like watching my buddy catch that fish, it's... It's almost like that same feeling, like you just won, basically. Does that make sense? It sounds that sounds weird, but no, dude, I, I, that's really what I it feels. What saying. It's I, 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 almost get more enjoyment out of getting a picture in from someone else of like, oh, here's here's an eight, nine, ten pounder that I caught on your bait. Like, it almost brings me more excitement to see that picture than it does for me to catch a fish like that. It's it sounds really weird, but that's to me that's how it is, dude. I. I understand completely. Like when, when I have, uh, this is going to may, may sound ungrateful, but like when I have family and super close friends that like I know in person and they're like, and maybe they don't necessarily know fishing, but they're like, Oh, your podcast is super good. Like I, I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. But when I get a random Instagram message request and I open it up and you know, it's three paragraphs in four separate messages and there's a screenshot of them, like listening to the episode. It's like, wow, like that. Yeah. It's it's a crazy feeling to find out when people you don't even know find enjoyment in something that you you make you produce you you slave over and it's like wow like it it's a it's a hard feeling to replicate if you if you've never had that feeling before I guess like us talking yeah. about it nobody is gonna know unless they've experienced what we're saying yeah yeah getting getting enjoyment out of other people's enjoyment of your product is just it's i it's unexplainable it it doesn't make any sense but it it's it's awesome yeah man it's it's a hard thing to beat and so your buddy catches a really good fish on it 
was he the only one to have a bait other than yourself, or did you make a handful and kind of give them out to some friends and families or some guys you knew on the internet? At that time, I think two other people had them at that exact time. Um, and we, we were fishing fishing a little lake when, when that happened, uh, or when he caught that. I think it was like a six and a half or something. It was a good for our area. That was a really good fish. Um, yeah, I think two people had it at the time, and it kind of just slowly started growing out from there. Um, now I've kind of got my core group of guys that I I send stuff to, and like, hey man, let me know, let me know what your thoughts are on this. Like they 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 know that their opinion is super taken to heart and everything. And I, you you got to have your group of people you trust and. It's it's kind of grown into that. Yeah, dude, that's that's for sure. Uh, back then, were you molding your baits, or were these all kind of one-off hand-carved of the same general shape and stuff? Uh, I think at that point, I was getting resin. I got some some cheap silicone up at Hobby Lobby or something and was, was making some resin baits. But, uh, yeah, it's it's actually funny. At that point in time, I was so new to it and just had no clue about molding up my own baits i was just like oh i've made a couple wood ones that are catching them cool um and uh just started dipping my toe into resin and i was like oh you can buy micro balloons off of amazon that's cool Gosh. so i did that and i didn't realize that they sent me the wrong thing so i was using silica powder like it was micro balloons oh that's what you that's what you were, line the mold with right to peel it out it's so the silk if I, I really don't use much silica thickener now. Um, I believe it's it's supposed to increase tensile strength, I believe okay. is what its purpose is. Um, but it, I mean, it, it does make it a little bit more uh, buoyant, but it's not <laughs> like a like a micro balloon. Um, and yeah, those baits were crazy fragile and everything. I, I remember that day, like he, he cast it and hit a dock and the thing just shatters into a million oh. pieces. And yeah, it was... It's it's those things that you can look at now and laugh about how just dumb I was at the time, but it was yeah. I it's mean, all about the little learning things. <laughs> yeah, it, I at that point, like it sounds like that whole scenario. It was probably beneficial that you got Hobby Lobby resin and not you know a five oh, gallon yeah. bucket because you're just watching watching your baits, you know, self destruct and they bounce off something. It would hurt oh, a lot yeah. more if you spent you know two hundred dollars on a five gallon drum of of resin. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, that was, that was very, <laughs> very entry level stuff. And yeah, I, I mean, it, it's any bait maker is going to go through those struggles where you're, there's, there's a huge learning curve there and you're going to, you're going to have to learn stuff. And that was, that was just one of the, the learning pains that I went through. Yeah, dude, you got to pay your stupid tax. Yeah. It's so brutal. And so once once you got your uh, your resin and you legitimately got your micro balloons, <laughs> how long did it take you to kind of figure out your recipe for for your glide bait? Oh, uh, this is this is where I wish I had like a little music box and I could play a drum roll. Yeah, because, you know, you know, some guys get super lucky and they say nine, and then you have some of the guys where it's like, oh man, like. I poured 40 of them before I even got close. And then I still had to tweak it over five more baits. It's like, this is, this is where people hear like the horror stories of more or less dumping resin down the drain until you figure out the perfect recipe for your bait. I was going to say, so like you said, 40, I'm nowhere near that because I wasn't making them in that, 
that bulk. It would it literally be like, make one up, weight it, see what weight I need to go with there, tweak the recipe, go back. It's it's hard to put a number on that because I, I really didn't keep track of it. It was it was months and months and months of doing several different baits a day. Okay. Uh, so it, it was a long time and a lot of trial and error there. So like, yeah, it, it wasn't like I was making big batches or anything. It was just like, I'm literally making baits for me and maybe one or two other guys at the time and just seeing how it swims, tweak it, see how it swims, tweak it. And like, yeah, it's, it's definitely not the most cost effective way to go about it, but it's, it's the way you've got to go about it to learn. <laughs> Damn, dude. Yeah, dude. That's fucking. Did now? <laughs> did you have? Did you have easy access to water? Did you have a pool, or you know, you have a bucket next to you, or did you have to drive to the lake, take a take a box full of baits with your formula written on it, drive to the lake, put split rings on it, and see how it swam? Or were you lucky enough to to kind of be close to somewhere that you could test the stuff? Oh no, yeah. I'd, I'd have to drive to to a little local pond or something like it. Yeah, there's there's several days there where it's like four or five trips up to the pond just to see how it swam. And then you'd after each time you'd come home, pour up another bait, mess around with it. You're like, oh, I think this is the way to go. And I mean, cause, cause you want to make sure you've got controlled variables when you're going about that. You want to change like one thing at a time in order to figure out how this is affecting the bait. Like I want to move this, uh, Oh, screw. I, down in the joint just a little bit to see how that affects the bait and how to make it different and everything you want something to compare it against so like just changing little by little by or one little thing at a time one little thing at a time going up testing and coming back and refining from there so like trying to be super super specific about what i change and what i test um but yeah it just it it took so much time to just go through that testing process does that make sense yeah. Yeah, you had mentioned that you were a CAD guy. So does that lead you to being a numbers guy also? Like you you kind of had an idea of where you need to make tweaks to in your formula as far as like more or less a part A or part B? Or oh. was, that, was that kind of uh, a strange path for you to go down, I guess? I mean, I I guess I, I never really thought of it that way before. It was just always like, oh yeah, this needs... We need to increase this percentage here yeah. when you do that. Like it, it was just kind of it just second nature. So I guess yeah, numbers yeah. guy thing kind of played into it. Yeah, dude, that's that's kind of nice. Um, not saying that I'm bad with numbers, but I think that I I'd pull all my hair out. I'd be like, why the hell is this not working? Damn it! <laughs> yeah, it would definitely be uh be a brutal thing. And I, honestly, everybody, every bait maker I've talked to, it is a brutal thing. It doesn't come super <laughs> easy. Like it's like I said, it's we talked about it when we first started. It's a lot of trial and error, and that's just all it boils down to realistically. Yeah, and I I truly believe that bait makers can be kind of classified in two different realms, basically. You've got the artist, and you've got the mad scientist side. You've got one side that's super focused on the engineering and the numbers, and then you got one that's just like masterful with an airbrush, everything comes naturally, and then the bait making is almost an afterth- afterthought to that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely sure. on the mad scientist side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think I've, I think you did a good job with that. I've had to really try to learn the art side as much as I can. Uh, that's yeah, that's the the art side is the whole fake to till you make it side for me. I'd yeah, me starting out with an airbrush was gnarly. I'd 
this I, I started painting baits way after I had an established bait that swim good. Because we've we've got water around here that you can catch a ton of fish on bone, like just bare resin. Yeah, like that's that's still my favorite color to this day. Is just bare resin. It it just gets bit. So painting was definitely an afterthought for me. Yeah, dude, bone resin is hard to beat. And the the painting, the artist, and in the like the engineer, I guess side of things. What I've always thought of it is usually usually somebody can be super good at building a house, but they have no idea how to decorate the inside of the house. Whereas you have those people that, oh my gosh, they see the inside of the house, they know exactly how to do it, but you ask them to go build a house and they look at you because they have no idea what to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's how I've always seen it. Is, oh, is yeah. That, that, that's funny how, how that translates because, yeah, the inside of my house is not really decorated <laughs> at all. Like I, on my, my entertainment center in the front room, I've got a mounted beaver and a mounted owl. Like <laughs> <laughs> with, a, with a purple shag rug carpet. And then you got a lava lamp next to it. <laughs> now I, I don't have style, but I don't have that bad of style. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can decorate a little bit. You can paint a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And the the only reason why that mounted owl is legal is because it was uh it was dead. My my grandpa was a taxidermist in Wisconsin for years. And it okay. was like before nineteen eighty seven is when it passed away and mounted or something. And that's that's how it's legal to have without a bunch of paperwork and everything yeah like grandfathered in more or less yeah yeah this thing is like considerably older than me <laughs> and it's funny you say that because uh there's like some of this is gonna sound probably super like white trashy redneck but there's there's uh gas stations up at home with with mounts in it and stuff uh, i say gas stations but they're like convenience stores party stores yeah. whatever you want to call it but they just so happen to sell gas also anyway they uh they have like full displays and stuff and they'll have they'll have uh king salmon mounts like super big ones like 35 yeah. pounds and on the little plaque it'll be like uh xyz snagged on the manistee river underneath tippy dam and uh as probably in the cases is where a lot of you guys live snagging is obviously illegal here now but like if it wasn't grandfathered in then technically the dnr would be allowed to take it i guess dude yeah. it's like that that stuff's a whole rabbit hole, and it's funny that you talked about the owl because I have a science teacher that uh, that had had an owl mount at one point in time, and it was the same thing. It had been grandfathered in, and you know back then they were doing skin mounts and stuff, and it was yep. it was pretty old, and that's how you knew that it was legit. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Growing up with with a grandpa that was a taxidermist, like every time we go up to his house, it was crazy. Like he had penguins, sloths, Gosh, no shit, cormorants. It was crazy. And he, he did a lot of work for like the Milwaukee County Zoo. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, the the family story was always like it was cold winter out one time and he forgot something in the back of the uh the van. And my grandma went up to the store to get groceries and came home or, or opened up the trunk to put the groceries in there and there was a ba- there was a baby elephant head in the back of the van. What <laughs> the hell? He was he was supposed to uh, do a European mount for him or something like that. And Holy yeah. It was, it was just wild stuff dude that's freaking awesome there's a big uh big taxidermist shop up by where i used to live it's called like legend monster like globally known and they do they do off the wall stuff like that too i mean they have giraffes in there they have uh they have an elephant in there you know a bunch of impalas and all the brams and stuff you know stuff out from africa it's cool shit like taxidermy taxidermy is like its own form of art obviously but like it's it's just cool to look at. Like it, I, I oh, understand yeah. it can be kind of weird, but it's, it's like 
that's an art. Like that that thing can pass as being a living thing if you looked at it from a distance or even up close and you had no idea. Like it's just it's yeah. crazy. So if you if you didn't grow up around it, it's it's wild, crazy, and out there. But like if if you've grown up around the outdoors, like it's just like oh yeah, there's a antelope on the wall or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Or, you know, rabbit holes. Rabbit holes <laughs> yeah, I know, stuff. right? Was that rabbit hole number five or something like that? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was just about to say. <laughs> need a counter, but uh, so you you figure out your recipe and stuff for the OG. Yep. And uh, at what point in time did you? maybe not sell, but make it available to people who wanted to test or to buy one at cost or however you went about it. How long did that take for you to kind of get the confidence to put yourself out there and let people you weren't super close with mess with your baits? See, that's a tough one because I, I tried to keep it to myself as long as possible. Um, just from a tournament aspect, like you're trying to get a leg up on the competition. If, if you've got something that's outperforming everything else, you want to keep it to yourself. But I mean, slowly your friend group, obviously, once they figure out you're making base, kind of expands and you start having more friends than you realize you had. And they start getting baits and everything. And suddenly you've got a local population of people that are all wanting your stuff that you've got to start making a business out of it. Otherwise, you're making a ton of baits just for and losing losing a ton of money on it. Because, I mean, they're not super cheap to make. So, I mean, it, it was just kind of one of those things that just kind of stumbled into that, basically. Does that make sense? No, dude. Yeah, it, it sounds it sounds uh, very as much as I thought it was going to sound like. Yeah, it it's probably very of, typical for a lot of bait makers. <laughs> so once you started to kind of get your baits out there and in the hands of people you knew and, and maybe your, your extended friend friend group, was uh, was there a lot of people telling you what they liked, you know, sending you fish pictures, maybe asking you how to work your stuff? Was, was there a lot of feedback that you were getting? Or was it kind of like that stereotypical thing, like when people get something like, oh my gosh, this is so perfect, and kind of not necessarily giving you pointers on maybe what to work on? So I, I had my core group of people that I really trusted for honest feedback. Um and I mean, yeah, the, the fish pictures and everything were coming in, but there was definitely a group of people that they didn't really fish a lot of big swim baits that this was their first like resin swim bait. Like they, they had the S waivers and they had the mag drafts and stuff. This was their, really their first, first glide bait. And it, it was, it was interesting to hear from them, their feedback and everything, uh, just kind of like le- learning about different tweaks to make it easier for them to fish a glide bait basically does that make sense yeah yeah no for sure yeah oh my god that's like that's the that's the hard thing i feel like is when when people post like asking for testers or you know just just whatever they they sell their first batch at cost whatever the case may be and like they're they're looking for people to to give them critique feedback what they like what they don't like and it's hard because constructive criticism is that thing that people get, people don't like getting, people don't know how to give. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a it's a really really weird thing. And as a bait maker, if I uh, if I ask you or you reach out to be a tester, I'm expecting you to tear the bait apart. I want to hear yep. your raw thoughts. I want you I want you to be 100 percent honest with me. I want to know if I should just burn my master and you know restart on a bait like that's. That's that's what that's what my point of view is. Yeah, and I, I think that all boils down to like you've got to have people that you trust. 
Yeah. Um, you, you've got to be careful about who you take constru- constructive criticism to, because it could be someone that's just doesn't like you as a person. And it, yeah. it, that they can, they can go one way with it. Uh, if, if, as long as you've got that trusted friend group that just, is brutally honest with you will is not afraid to just tell you how's how it is and not sugarcoat it. I think I, that that's, that's the best way to go about it. Um, yeah, it it's, 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 it's interesting. Like you've got, you've got to develop your own process for it. That's for yeah, sure. Dude. Uh, it's, it's super. I, I have a lot of friends and they, they, uh, I, I was talking to a guy today on the phone and he's like, dude, I listened to a recent episode and uh, he's like, before that, I listened to a, a decently old episode, like one of your first 15 or 20. He's like, the amount of growth you've had is, it's miraculous. He's like, you've gotten yeah. so much better at talking, you know, X, Y, Z. And to hear that from somebody, like you said, somebody that you trust, somebody that that you know isn't going to inflate your ego or deflate your ego, that, that wants the best for you. It's like, wow, like th- coming coming from a person that, that is in your circle, it's like, okay, like. Maybe, maybe this is up to the standard that I had in my head. Maybe I'm being too hard on myself if I don't think it's as good as it is or, or just whatever. It's, it's nice to have those people in your corner. Yeah. And I I think it's equally as important to have people that push you. So like you've, you've got to have those people like, look, you're doing this really, really well, but you could do this better. You could do this better. You can make your bait swim like this. Like you, you've got to make sure you're always on that growth trajectory where you're like, a year from now, you look back and like the baits I'm making right now, they better not be worse or they, they better be worse than what I'm making in the future. Like I've got to always be improving my stuff. Same thing with your podcast. Like you're going to look back on this episode and be like, man, I can't believe I was doing this, 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 and this. Yeah. And like, yeah, you, you've just always got to have that growth mindset and always be looking to improve. I, so, I that's, that's the way I go about it. Yeah. Fun fact. Um, we're recording this on the 6th, so it's obviously a little ways out. But when you guys hear this, this will actually be two days before the year anniversary that I posted the first episode. So February 26th was a year. In 2022 was the first episode I recorded. And now... Well, happy anniversary. Yeah, dude. So this will, be, <laughs> this will be February 20th when guys are listening to this. And like it's like you said, I as much as I don't want to, I really don't want to, I'm going to listen to that first episode and I'm going to hear it. And I'm going to cringe. There's not going to yep. be, you know, intro music. There's not going to be, it's, I'm sure it's going to be super choppy. I'm going to be, you know, sound intimidated. And it's like, it's, it's also reassuring to look back and to think, wow, I have come a long ways. Like, like we had said, and then like you said, like, I hope I'm, I'm triple this enthusiastic. I, I, I feel, I hope I have a better workflow in the future. And it, it's, I don't know for some people it might be the case but for me that's kind of like what makes me want to keep recording episodes it's like oh my gosh like i mm-hmm. I, I know i did this wrong like i, I should have gone about it a different way i should have asked this question maybe worded it a little bit different um the main thing is like the vocabulary for, for me in the podcast like i catch myself saying a lot of the same words and and especially probably in those first episodes it was probably horrendous and now it, it's kind of more free-flowing when i talk to people i'm not not that I was anxious then, but like it, it's more Mad Lib style. Like I can, I can fire off questions that pop into my head when you guys are talking and I can, I can go about and react in different ways and stuff. And it's just like, 
I've I've always thought when you stop growing with whatever it is, you become you become stagnant with it. That's when you lose interest in something. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I think if there's one thing in life that it's a, incredibly important to be good at, it's failure. Like you've you've gotta you've gotta not be afraid to fail because you know it's gonna make you better on the backside of it. Whether that's like I I mean I'm human. You're human. We're all going to make mistakes with stuff. And it's, it's whether you own that mistake, fess up to it. And like, it like just try to make it better in the future. So like, if I've got someone that's come to me with like a tuning mistake or like I, I messed up on a bait or something like that, which, which has happened. It's happened with every single bait maker out there. Um, I a hundred percent fess up to it. Like, look, I can make mistakes. I'm human. I'm going to do my best to fix that mistake in the future because I know that I'm human and I can have those failures. It's all about how you address those failures and always failing forward in order to make a better product. Does that make sense? Yeah, dude. No, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's how I've always gone about it is like, look, I, I can make mistakes. I'm going to have failures. I'm going to screw up in some aspects, but I just want to make sure that all that stuff is accounted for i make myself better each and every day when it comes to being a bait maker and i'm sure you're the exact same way when it comes to podcasts like you're gonna look back at this one and be like look i made a mistake here this is how i can make it better going forward in the future yeah dude like right off the top of my head i when we were talking about cities earlier i said bussing and i meant like bustling like a super yeah i know people are gonna laugh at that but like that's that's what i meant and like it slipped up and that's just it's whatever it won't happen in the future i guess but it's kind of like if you if you aren't content with where you are, you're going to continue to be successful. That's just just how I've yeah. always thought about it, I guess. A hundred percent. I'm hundred percent on the same page. And so speaking of being content, like where you are and stuff. So you you obviously you talked about working on that OG glide and stuff and, and you yep. got it to where it is today. For anybody who hasn't hasn't seen the darter like this bait. If you guys have listened to any of the episodes of the podcast, you know what my jam is when I'm fishing a glide bait, just like a jerk bait, like super fast, erratic, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The water kind of embodies that style of fishing and pumps it up on steroids, pumps it up on yep. GMOs. Like it, it is a wild bait, and we'll get into that a little bit in a, in like the next next little banter. How did that bait come to be? What was the idea behind it? What was the the brainchild for the darter when it first became an idea in your head? So my original intention of the next bait I wanted to build was a bigger one. I wanted to go bigger bait route. But um, somewhere in there, I got connected with Justin Kimmel. from. He was doing a bunch of marketing and stuff for the Bass University. Um. We just started connecting over email and stuff and uh, just kind of talking back and forth. And all of a sudden he comes to me and like, man, I've been looking for this one thing that I really don't see out on the market. I want something that's a small profile, like a herring profile, because he's from Georgia, South Carolina area where there's a ton of herring eaters out there. He's like, I want something small profile like that, but I want it to just be just crazy twitchy and just like erratic and just fast and if i'm sure a lot of the other bait makers that are listening to this thing would know like that's that's not an easy task to 
accomplish. Um, it goes against the physics a lot of bait making. Um, generally, if you've got something that small of a profile, that's that short, that, that, that's that thin, and you try to make it work really, really fast, it's going to roll a lot. Like it's, it's going to have a lot of roll to it. It's going to be really hard to keep balanced well. Um, so I just started messing with stuff, started doing a ton of research, looking into other aspects of uh, resin manufacturing, not just the swim bait side of stuff, like other aspects of the material. So like going down deep material rabbit holes and finding out that there's a super high buoyancy material that marries well with resin and like i started messing around with it and honestly like completely failed at it to start with and like hated the product i was like oh this thing sucks this this is not the way to go about it and then doubled back uh like a month or two later and started having just other ideas of how to apply it to the bait and found out that i can do some sort of a laminating process in order to run a super high buoyancy material up top, mm-hmm. which allows for a lot more ballast down low, keeping it super stable. So it makes it act like this process makes it act like it's a much bigger bait than what it is. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so like, I'm sure it might not for people who aren't visual learners, but I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a crazy nerd, and it was just... Mad like, scientist. The amount of... Yeah, the mad scientist moment. Like we've buttoned down a ton of rabbit holes today. It's been the exi- like it's yeah, I'm I'm a big rabbit hole person. I <laughs> go down it for weeks and stuff at a time and but yeah, so figured out this super nerdy process in order to make a glide bait act like it's a much bigger presence in the water while maintaining its durability with because the material that I'm using up top isn't necessarily good for holding the hardware in place. Like it's it's not great for that. So like figuring out the best of both worlds in order to make it act like I want it to. Yeah, dude. Um, you you hit on a in my eyes a big point that probably would gotten glazed over if I didn't mention it. You had said you tried it, you didn't like it, and you came back to it a month or two later. Yeah. And I think you probably didn't like it, like you said, because it wasn't doing what you wanted it to, or you couldn't figure it out. Which yep. is, uh. I would say a lot of people, not saying everybody, a lot of people would have given up on it. Like that, that idea is in the trash, whatever. But I think when people push themselves to an uncomfortable area, whatever, whatever we'll say, area or idea, that's what, that's another thing that breeds innovation. Like you think of the guy who, <laughs> like, think of the guy who made, like, uh, we'll say, like, a, uh, like a, like the smart car. We'll just say that. Like, you know, he went against the grain and he made something completely different. Yep. That, that's a terrible idea, but that's just, that's just the, that's the, uh, what we're going with, like cars, I guess, like in general. Um, it, it's something that people didn't think was like, or it just, it was just kind of against the norm. And honestly, it probably sounded like a terrible idea, but they did it and they refined it. And it was kind of the new thing. I, I as I as I elaborate on this, I realize smart car was a terrible, a terrible thing. But <laughs> we'll continue to go with it. Just like it was something new. It wasn't. Uh, it hadn't been done before. And like I said, they'd probably done it, and they were probably like, "This is the stupidest thing ever." But yeah. as they as they continued to stick with it and make changes to it, and came back to it or went back to the drawing board, whatever, they realized like, "Oh wow!" Like 
this could be the next thing. Yeah. Like, like the smartphone, the smartphone is a lot better, a lot better, uh, idea than, than what the car car thing I was going with. So like between the Nokia and like the iPhone, like I'm sure the iPhone did not go well for the first two years they tried to do it and then they, you know, something snapped and they're like, oh my gosh, like this is gonna be the next big thing. Like this is this is like moving mountains type type idea. Yeah. And I mean so yeah that 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 whole mindset of not being willing to quit on a good idea is something that I think there's too many people that just, that just quit, turn away from it. Like it's impossible and never come back to it. Like I've, I've got one thing I'm working on right now. I'm, I'm not going to say what it is. Um, but pretty much every bait maker out there has probably had that idea at one point in time and Uh just no one's been able to make it work. Like there's some people that tried and it just isn't great. It's not great. Um, and I've I've been working on it for a solid two years now, um, and it's it's getting closer. I'm not going to say that it's going to come out in 2023 because I I don't I'm not going to put any time restraints on it. I'm yeah. not going to release it till it's perfect. But like it's it's getting closer, and like it's it's requiring those outside the box techniques and outside the box manufacturing processes in order to get it to work. And I think I'm finally getting closer with it. So. Hopefully when that comes out, it's going to be just wild and crazy and just nothing else like it out there. But lo and behold, watch, it's going to be one of those things that like, I'll get it down, I'll get ready to release it, someone else will come out with it a month before and they'll be like, oh, well, he's ripping that person off. And it's like, no, that's been two and a half years in the making, man. <laughs> you guys heard it here first, officially. He's working on whatever he's working on, damn it. <laughs> Maybe oh. I should say it so that way that I'm, I'm not copying people when it comes out but well i'm not gonna do that we'll we'll save it for another day yeah there you go (laughs) um but no dude like i i know exactly what you're saying like dude i've been i don't know you you might not know about it because i've been kind of stingy on what i talk about but i've I've hinted towards a little bit but now when people hear this i've talked about it a little bit the magazine Mm -hmm. it's yeah the magazine sounds like it's such a badass idea i'm super excited for it when you guys are listening to this it'll probably in the middle if not done at the print shop and i will have them in my possession probably like just getting sent over there when you guys hear this but it's like it's a super good idea but in the back of my head it's like shit what if somebody else <laughs> drops a magazine a week before i do and then i'm gonna look like the ass hat that, that is following <laughs> that's following in their footsteps and it's like man it uh i i talked about it with uh with jt carrera a couple episodes ago like there's that feeling in relating it to like the tournament fishing stuff when you're the first to weigh in and you're standing there and you have a good bag and you're just kind of, yeah. you have butterflies in your stomach and you're like, Oh my gosh, I really hope nobody else drops a bigger bag than I do. Yeah. And uh, it, it, that's just how it is. Like that innovation thing and where, where it's not necessarily <clears throat> like a crazy idea, like a magazine is a good idea, but a magazine isn't original. It's original in our little space of things, but magazines have been a thing for 60 years. Yeah. So it's like it really just took somebody to to have this idea a week before I did and and work a little bit faster than I did to kind of uh, really really put a downer on things and I I was super hesitant on holding it in and I held it in for a while like I probably have close to sixty hours on working on this thing and that's where I was like okay I should probably start talking about it so the first time I I mention it I have fifty magazines that aren't going to sell because nobody knows it's coming. Like I need to kind of yeah. build up 
some idea to the general public that this is going to be a thing so they can they know that i i was the one that talked about it before it was a physical thing <laughs> yeah yeah no that's it's such a fine line and like like you were saying it, it wasn't it's not necessarily something like groundbreaking across the entire like world but like for the swim bait universe thing that's it's something that's not been done before and i yeah. i've been doing a ton of like i i listen to a ton of audiobooks and i've been doing a really deep dive over the past year on innovation and like reading a ton of books about how different ideas come about and like yep. looking looking for similar aspects and in other industries to apply to yours that ends up being it it, it ends up being the uh how innovation is started yeah. basically like figuring out how to foster those ideas that are quote unquote um what's that word uh quote unquote like revolutionary but like right. yeah it's yeah yeah so that's that's a big nerdy rabbit hole that we probably don't need to go down <laughs> but no it, it's funny that you say that because like uh dude i got the magazine idea i've been watching a docu series about hugh hefner and like the beginning of playboy mm-hmm. and how it got started and and where it had gone and like i was watching it i was like six episodes in and i'm like has there ever been a swim bait magazine like that that's kind of like 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 we said it's not it's not groundbreaking in in the terms of a world idea but it's groundbreaking in the terms of a niche hobbyist group like i'm like no i don't and then i kind of i i asked around like nonchalantly i'm like hey like uh has there ever been a swim bait magazine and everybody's like no it's never been a thing like there's articles about it and stuff obviously and i'm like huh Okay, and then, you know, I pulled the mad scientist card and I, I sat at my desk for 20 hours in a short span of time and kind of had the cover design. And I'm like, you know, this this could be something. And then it's slowly just gone into the wormhole on uh, on the whole idea. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 cool. I look forward to to getting one. I'll, I'll definitely be. Is it going to be like a quarterly one or a monthly one? Yeah. Or? No. So originally. uh this this is a good time to elaborate on it because if not if if you yeah. ask this question I would never elaborate on it until I dropped them. Uh, Let's plug this thing. Let's sell some yeah. magazines. So uh, <laughs> so originally it was gonna be a I wanted it to be a year over like a year review. I wanted it to cover you know Toxic Day, the Texas Gathering, uh, the Cast and Crank Toy Drive, the Swim Bait Gathering in Virginia. Uh, I think I think that's about all of them. Uh, the the tournament that they're putting on in Minnesota, the Freeze Your Ass Off Swim Bait Tournament. Like I wanted it to be pictures and stories from all that. I wanted builders to talk about what they what they came out with over the year, maybe what they're what they've been working on all year, projects they had been working on. I wanted to talk to rod builders about maybe maybe new collabs they worked on. I wanted to talk to guys that caught their PBs and and like all sorts of stuff. And then I realized like first off, that is like that's a lot of constant work to post one thing in relative. It would be a super big one thing, but it's like the, the, and this leads into the second part of it, the cost, like, yeah, it would, it would cost a lot of money to post. I mean, right now I have, I have 40 pages and it's a quarterly thing right now. Mm -hmm. Like, so we'll say on the short end, 120 pages, we'll, we'll graciously say 120 pages. I could not imagine trying to buy, we'll say, 50 to 100 magazines at 120 pages a piece. The pricing would be absolutely outrageous. It would probably be upwards of seven to ten grand in full color. Uh, oh wow! In 120, like I said, graciously. Yeah. I'm like, okay. 
I I cannot swing that. Unfortunately, as as a, as everybody's favorite swim bait podcast, I do not make <laughs> seven to ten grand in a year span to to buy <laughs> magazines. And at that time, I didn't know if it was gonna be you know a hit or a flop. And so I kind of I. I sat in the I sat in the shadows. I kind of watched. I, I'd see guys post up prints for sale or prints with baits and stuff, and guys were posting uh, prints on their wall or on their desks and stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, the art is kind of like the fine art is the fine print art is kind of trickling into the swim bait stuff. Um, you know, the, the super nice paint jobs. Like, I guess kind of the the stuff you see um, on on fundraisers like that like quote-unquote like collector like super nice uh appealing baits and stuff is kind of kind of becoming a thing in the swim bait world i'm like that's super cool and then watching watching this uh this playboy thing it's kind of like i'm like wouldn't it be super sick if if somebody brought in like the men's style magazine of the 70s to 90s along with the super fine art like (laughs) this is gonna sound super weird like (laughs) Playboy wasn't always about like it had always been about the centerfolds and pinups, but it hadn't always yeah. been about that that taboo thing that everybody knows what I'm talking about. It had been like for anybody who doesn't know, Martin Luther King used to write in Playboy like religiously during the Black <laughs> Activist movement in in the 70s and stuff. And you know you had you had a lot. It was about fine art, uh, you know, new ideas, whether that be political ideas or activist ideas or whatever. And it it also you know had the pinups that everybody associates with it today and i'm like okay whatever and I, I wanted to embody what those magazines were you had esquire you had stag party you had playboy and there's a couple others off the top of my head that that really had that unique men's book style like it was style <laughs> uh dressing and, and just that sort of stuff and i'm like why why has that never been a thing why has nobody ever associated that with swim baits like obviously you could you could put your own twist on it you could make it that like that grunge scene, like that, the like the like the uh, skateboarders are into, and in, in like the the metal music and stuff, and that's that's super cool. But I'm like, I I just want it to be my own thing, and so yeah, it has it like it's it drew roots from from that men's style magazine, and it's kind of got my own twist on it. Obviously, uh, we'll say I we'll say quote unquote I'm a podcast host, and that's far from it. But I'm not I'm not a writer, and I'm not uh, a magazine designer, so I'm sure the first one. I'm being tough on myself. I think it looks super cool, but it's probably not going to be the best one ever. Well, and I, that's that's true. It won't be the best one ever. Yeah. But it's the idea. It's the brainchild. It's the first one. And like you said, if the first one's the best, what do you have to look forward to? And so yeah. as I move forward and more people are interested in writing and, and more people are, are liking the idea and stuff, it's going to get better. And the first one is going to be super cool. Uh, super unique because it's never been done before and it's it's going to be a stepping stone and uh it's just going to be badass so that's yeah. that's pretty much the uh the, the whole wrap on on what the idea was so the, the you i don't know if you end up wanting to cut this out of the podcast or or not but uh have have you reached out to like you've got a huge connection of bait makers and stuff have you reached out to them for advertising to help cut down on your production costs so not yet. I I am going to to pay for this one by myself and everything. Uh, I'll have the Leviathan ad in there because they they that's who the podcast works with and stuff. And I have uh, my buddy Phil who does Phil's Tackle Box. I'm putting an ad in mm-hmm. there for him. And I'm like those for the time being. Those are like page fillers. Those are for the articles that are only three pages long that don't cover you know two pages yeah. worth of, worth of stuff. And that's fine. Like I have no problem covering the cost because I'm gonna make a little bit of profit anyway. So that's whatever. 
but moving forward, um, I, I talked about it. it, it the, I talked about it with somebody today. The, the magazine, essentially, after the first two publications, three publications, will just go a year in advance. Yeah. I think it's honestly going to run itself. Like, yeah. people, people are going to want to have their article in there. They're going to want to talk mm-hmm. about the PB they caught. Bait builders and makers are going to want to talk about the bait that's going to be released in five months. So they're going to put it in a three-month publication so people have two months to stow over it. Um, it dude, it's just, I don't know. I, it's crazy to talk about it because I haven't talked about it. Like, I've talked about it to a very few selected people. And uh, whether or not they they can see my brain waves is one thing, but like I know what I want in my head, and yeah. the fact that it's moving so fast towards it, it's like wow, like this is quickly going to become not necessarily my thing, but it's going to become everybody's thing. Like everybody yeah. is going to contribute who wants to to this magazine, and that's what I'm so excited for. Yeah, that's like I said, I I haven't even I haven't even been thinking. Of- thinking about it for a minute and like i have an ideas pop in my head i can't imagine you that's been thinking about this forever like that's that's got to be really exciting and a bunch of different avenues you can go down that's really cool yeah dude and like guys are like oh i'd subscribe to that and stuff and that that's super cool i i really enjoy that yeah but that's just that's not in the cards like i'm just gonna buy the first run there's gonna be 50 to 100 copies and once they're sold out, they're sold out. Obviously, if guys, like if there's people, another group of 25 or 50 who wants them, I'll order more. But it's not going to be subscription-based because I don't know how, like you guys could get the first issue and you guys could be like, oh my gosh, did this guy pass like seventh grade English? Which <laughs> helping me with that stuff. But it's like, I don't want to take money until you guys know that this is something you want to be locked into. And not necessarily locked into is not the right word there, but like that you guys are intrigued with um, and like you want to have. I. I have on the mission statement, it'll be the, the third page you guys flip to. It says, like, this magazine is a physical vehicle from my ideas to you as a pub, as a physical publication, something that you can leave on your man cave desk or your coffee table that anybody can pick up and become instantly immersed in our niche hobbyist group we all share. And, like, that's, like, I'm not great with words. Like, I just said that off the <laughs> top of my head, so it's probably a little bit different. But that, like, embodied everything that the whole magazine is, is going for in, in that couple of sentences right there. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to, to read it. That's really cool. Yeah, dude, I'll, I'll send you some pictures over when, when we're done here, but Wait. Uh, I don't know, man, it's like, it's super exciting. And, and I know like I've had a lot of guys show a lot of interest in it. Like, like there was a, there was a post on Swimbait underground the other day that I've kind of hinted at a little bit. Um, and, and it, it's something that people want, but like there's that there's that little voice in the back of my head that that thought back there and it's like is it going to be exactly what people want and if it's not then it's not i will go back to the drawing board and i'll figure out what people want i'll put polls up and i'll i'll take that constructive criticism that i hope people come at me with and it's going to get better like i said the first one and yeah. you talked about the first one is a stepping stone you can't you can't improve on something that you never start i guess is what i'm getting at yeah and that's that's just business man like you've you've got to be a little bit bold to take that you you've got to be a little bit bold to put that out there just to and accept criticism back like it i'm i'm trying to figure out how to articulate what i'm saying um dude that that's me every single podcast every time a thought comes into my head yeah you say this (laughs) you've you've got to be a little bit willing to 
show who you are when you release a product out there that there might be someone that comes back and just doesn't like it. Or yeah. Like, and likes it. You've, you've got to be a little bit bold on that standpoint. Like you've got to, you've got to risk being putting something out there. That's not good in order to take a chance on yourself. Yeah. And, uh, it's, <laughs> this is going to sound like super weird. I've never been like, the super mainstream type of guy. I mean, when I, in high school, when I started buying these swim baits and stuff, everybody, yeah. I mean, I had kids on my baseball team that would go home and tell their parents and their parents would heckle me. Like when we were warming up and stuff, I was warming up to pitch. Like, Oh my, you know, so-and-so told me that you, you bought a $200 bait yesterday. Is that true? I'm like, yeah, that's true. And like, <laughs> it's just always that thing. Like in high school, I had a mullet. I was like the first person to have pit vipers. You know, I, yeah. I wore my, I wore my flat bill hat, uh, baseball hat. And, uh, I've always like embodied to to be kind of a little bit like outgoing, I guess, with with whatever it is, whatever that be. And like, I, I I couldn't think of anything better than a magazine. Like, Scales and Tales is a podcast first and foremost. That's what it that that's what it was. But I've also always wanted to be kind of like like a reporter. I've wanted to kind of tell people what's going on, or you know, give a platform to people. And that's obviously what the podcast does. But I was like, why couldn't it be a magazine? Like, why couldn't yeah. Like I, like I said earlier, why couldn't anybody pick it up and be like, oh, I had no idea. Like, I thought you just went out and took pictures with fish. I didn't know that there was, you know, we'll say a 50,000 person sized community behind you that, that shares the same mindset as you. And I didn't know that it was, uh, it was such a big thing. I just hear you talk about it as if it's like you and a couple buddies. Like, I didn't know it was such a massive hobbyist group, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, the swim bait community is so niche as it is. Like, that's you're gonna, and they're so passionate about that niche. Like, it's, I think it's a good idea. Like, you're, it's, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm excited to read it. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, dude, every day I'm sitting at work and, uh, <laughs> like, like I was messaging you today and I won't lie. I, I was messaging you and I was like, I was writing shit down on what I need to do when I get home after the, after I, record this one with you and I, after I edit two more, it's like, what am I going to need to do to the magazine to just get it a little bit, a little bit closer to being ready than it was yesterday. Yeah. And I think after, after the first one gets done, I'm going to, I'm going to understand like how, how I like to operate, whether that be like, you know, work five days and have the weekend off or just break it up a little bit more. I'm going to realize how fast I can work. Like the first week, dude, the first two weeks I had probably 20 pages done and I'm like, Whoa, like, <laughs> I, like I don't need to work that fast or I'm going to burn myself out. And I've kind of mellowed it out a little bit and I've starting to figure out how, how I like to go about it. And it's like, Oh my gosh, the second one is going to be so much better because I know what I wanted to do already. And I'm not starting from square one. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, dude, it's, it's going to be a good time, but here. speaking of starting from square one, back to the darter. The darter I was going to say, can, can we take a break here to use the restroom real quick? And yeah, yeah, man, sure. <laughs> let me, uh, let me stop. And we'll get back at it. I have to actually use the restroom too. So we will be right back guys. Alrighty guys, we are back, back, getting right back into it. So Josh, when you came up with the darter and you got it uh, down to, to what you like, how did you go about, uh, field testing it and kind of distributing it to distributing, distributing it to others who you wanted to see kind of su succeed with this bait and then kind of get that pure feedback that we had touched on before about the OG glide you had made. So the testing of the darter was 
a lot different than the OG. Um, mostly because it was it had a lot to do with uh, Justin Kimmel and with him putting his name on the bait. Like it required more extensive product testing through his people that he trusts. So it was it was definitely getting a lot of it was, it was a lot of me working outside my ne- necessary bubble and more into his bubble as well and kind of taking feedback from them and kind of releasing it to his followers and to his local group of people and just kind of bouncing ideas off of, off of them. Um, yeah. Damn dude. So like, did you send him a handful of baits to kind of have him and his buddies start to field test and kind of make a list on stuff they liked and maybe something that you kind of change or maybe alter the action a little bit? Or how did you go about that? So I didn't really give them options. Um, I basically sent them a handful of the same bait because I'd, I'd already been through months of trial and error, trial yeah, yeah. and error on my end to get to something that I think that they like. Um, and then once I, I thought it was good, I sent it to them for evaluation. Then there was some tweaks and stuff from there. And actually they, they had prototypes before I figured out the material lamination process. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so it and it it wasn't necessarily it it wasn't it wasn't a good bait at that time. It rolled a lot. It wasn't able to work super super fast. So, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of almost the project had almost kind of gone stale and wasn't moving forward a lot. And I kind of went back to that material, and it kind of got everything fired up again. Damn, dude! So when you did get it all fired back up again. Did you send them the new versions or were they like, wow, like this is a completely different bait or did they kind of have the same, same idea of it being quote unquote, the same bait? I mean, it, it was definitely a much better performing bait. Um, and I, they liked the original, um, they weren't in love with it. It, it, it definitely had a lot of flaws to it. And I mean, the newer one, I mean, it's, it's, or the, the one that, it's for sale now. It's not a slow moving bait. I'm I'm never going to try to really make it one. I mean, it's it's still got flaws from that aspect where it's not going to like slow wind and stuff. Um, but it it definitely just took that bait to a whole nother level. Does that does that make sense? No, dude. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's kind of like that. I mean, kind of we might we may sound super repetitive for for people listening, but we obviously can't listen to what we've said, but. It's yeah. that kind of that innovation thing that brings it up to the next step. Going back to the innovation, it yeah. it keeps you it keeps you on your toes. I guess is really just what it comes down to. Yeah, for sure. And so you you get the lamination process figured out. They get it. Did they did they like straight up say like I don't know what you did, but this is a lot better performing bait than the first one we had, or? Did they kind of keep it low key and they're like, oh, this bait does this super well? And you're like, okay, yeah, I, I knew that, but I just I wanted to see what you guys thought about it. It, it was it was basically one of those things. I, I told them, like, look, I figured this thing out. It's performing like a whole nother animal now, and they got it and they they were they're like, Yup, this is it. <laughs> Damn, dude, that is so sick. And did you, I'm sure you told them flat out, oh well, they knew they were the, he was the one that came to you and said he wanted a fast moving bait. Did it kind of exceed their expectations as far as like how responsive it was and how uh, 
how high of a gear ratio reel they can use and stuff, or did it kind of hit the nail on the head with with what they had expected and what they were looking for out of a bait? I've never really had that conversation with them. Um, uh-huh. I hope that it exceeded their expectations. Um, right, yeah, as you do most of the time with, with everybody. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, it's it's just one of those things that I don't, I don't think the average consumer knows how difficult it is to make a bait perform like that given its size and parameters um i think it it takes someone with a really intimate knowledge of how much work goes into developing a bait to truly appreciate what it can do does that make sense or like the the amount of like work it takes to to get to that point oh dude yeah for sure and it's like we said uh it looks like i mean i'm gonna be a hypocrite here but it looks like oh uh in this the darter isn't like this but it's like oh look another brush tail shad and yep. uh, the last guy and i talked about yes there's baits that look like each other but good luck getting a bait to perform like another bait they all have a little bit of corkiness in them that make them do different stuff they could do this thing better they could do this thing a little bit worse but they excel at this and yeah. uh that's that's just really all it comes down to i guess yeah i mean it's the word knockoffs thrown around a lot in the swimbait community now. And I know there's going to be critics because I make a brush tail glide. People are going to say that. Whatever. It, it doesn't bother me at this point. Um, because if those people knew the amount of work that the people that are going about making glide baits right, if they knew the amount of work that goes into creating a good bait, they would not say that. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Yo, like, no, yeah. Yeah, it it's it's not like we're over here painting up blanks and selling them as a brand new thing. It's if 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 that person that's making a brush tail glide is actually making a legit bait that swims really good, that does that's just it's its own deal. Yeah, it yeah, I I don't know. That's that's a whole nother we were talking about rabbit holes earlier. That's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down and they would end up getting me in trouble with everyone that's listening to this thing because everyone would have opinion and everyone would start spot, spouting off about me. So maybe it's better we don't go down that rabbit yeah. hole. <laughs> we'll we'll avoid that a little bit here. Yeah. Um or so, maybe we should spend the controversial reel. This that means this thing will get some serious views. We'll go. Really make some nice sound bits for people to to post over their, their opinions yeah. on what we're we'll saying. We'll make many wrong. won't make many friends, but we'll a lot of people, people, people will see it. People will hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so you get um the guys love love the darter, they love what you did with the laminating process. And and you, I'm assuming you also thoroughly enjoy with what you've came up with. When did you uh, either kind of take it to somebody who wasn't in that core group of guys who had been fishing it and they're like, and didn't know like the process. And they're like, here, go fish. This fish is super fast. Tell me what you think about it. Or was it kind of like you posted uh, a video or somebody posted some fish pictures and it kind of built the hype up for itself? Or was it more of you guys kind of nestled it and brought it to where it's at now, as far as like being uh, a bait that guys who, who know about it, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who, who maybe have never even heard of Clutch Swim Bait Company and who are very unsure of what the darter is. They've probably heard yeah. us talking about it and have maybe even gone on your Instagram to, to see what it's all about. How, how did you guys go about, um, I guess, showing this bait off? Or has it been kind of so, kept low-key? So 
I sent it off to Kimmel and his people to start, got that feedback back. And once we got that feedback and he was happy with the product, I started dispersing it to my core group of people for their honest opinion. Yeah, and to yeah. be honest with you, there was, it was about 50-50 of people that didn't like it. I believe and it. I, I didn't really necessarily explain it to them like right off, like, hey, guys, this is a fast bait. They're working it like a traditional glide bait. And like, they're like, dude, when you just reel this thing straight, it just comes straight through the water. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, it's not, that's not how it's designed. Um, if, if I wanted it to swim really good on a slow retrieve, I'd move that joint forward a little bit. I'd make that tail a little bit more beefy, add a little bit more weight to it, uh, readdress the joint, and it'd swim like a traditional glide bait. But that's not what we're going after. We're yeah. going after a super aggressive, super choppy bait. And once I explained it to them and kind of showed them how that this thing wants to be worked, they started to really like it and start to realize like, oh, well, this can fit into my fishing in these kind of different applications. It's definitely not a one size fits all. This is the bait for every single application. It's not. It's 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 a fairly niche, excuse me, fairly niche bait. And yeah. once they realized what that niche was, they're like, oh. For when the bass are acting like this, this bait really, really, really excels over everything else out there, and it, it's not even close. To yeah, the one. I I will um like always I'll I'll put your Instagram description in or I'll put your Instagram in the description. <laughs> and while you guys are listening to this and hearing us talk about this bait, if you guys aren't very familiar with what it is, uh, go go on Josh's Instagram, scroll down couple swipes it'll, it'll there'll be a swim video of it and you'll see i mean you talk about it you said this is a bait that you need to fish on an eight to two or ten to one whatever it is yep. a revo rocket or an hg shimano whatever dial is is and you kind of break it down a little bit and you you show just how fast this damn thing can swim i mean it can swim fast it's, it's quick yeah yeah it's it, there's not it, many glide baits that you're like oh yeah we want to throw a 10 to one gear ratio but like right this thing likes it it likes speed. It's it's essentially kind of what I, I see it as. It's like a bull shad or a triple trout if it only had one joint. Like you can fish it like that. Yeah, it's it's fast. Like it 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 goes, I mean, obviously gonna be way wider than a triple or uh yeah. quadruple joint bait, but like, yeah, it's it's for that fast kind of situation. And truth be told, with me, it's been tough to figure it out like when the boat's moving um when that boat's moving forward and you're casting forward that rhythm almost gets tough to get if you're using anything slower than an eight to one gear ratio so like for the longest time i was throwing it on the seven three to one and i was the boat was almost moving too fast in order for me to like pick up enough keep line. up with it good like i wasn't able to give it as much speed as it needs uh-huh. so like I was having issues with that. It wasn't until I bumped up to those higher speed gear ratios where I was really like, like able to keep up with it as the boat was moving. So it's a very, it's a bait that's got a little bit of a learning curve to it. Um, and I think probably that learning curve turns some people off to start, but once they understand it, it's like, okay, this, this thing's deadly. Hell yeah, dude. And so I mean, we've, we've talked about it enough, like how the mechanics and the engineering behind it. And like I said, go check out the swimming video if you guys haven't, because this, this, this next part that I'm going to talk about or ask Josh about, will will make more sense. So you being the guy who built it and Justin Kimmel and his people and, and your friends 
being the people who who were kind of the first first guys to to mess around with this bait where do you see this bait shines the most like when these fish are chasing herring on top or when you're ripping it past cover whether that be like uh floating weeds or lay down shallow lay downs and stuff where do you guys or maybe you even personally where do you think that this bait is like oh it's a no-brainer i need to fish it here and i need to get bit right now so absolute ideal situation you're going to be on a blueback herring lake um so the profile is a really 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 big aspect to this um and this bait's really taught me how much profile matters in certain situations um like around the ozarks and stuff your window for using this bait is fairly limited um those bait those fish have to be super hot and super just ready to crush stuff like they've they've got to be willing to chase some stuff that's moving quick yeah um which doesn't happen all the time um i truly feel like an og is a little bit more versatile in that aspect around here but once you get out to the georgia and south carolina lakes where those fish love things moving just at blistering speeds that's where it really really shines and they've been throwing it over uh shoals throwing it alongside docks laydowns everything um see that's that's kind of it 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 definitely has its place outside of that region but if you're on a blueback herring lake that is an absolute staple in a ton of situations does that kind of make sense yeah no that's kind of what i figured is when they're when the herring are getting chased i i'm not a biologist and i'm not going to claim to know but i kind of figured the herring kind of probably school up like shad and they get chased around and i'm sure uh, single bait fish get broke off from the group and kind of have that panic swim to it. And I don't, I'm going to say it. If you guys haven't checked out the swim video, go do it because it's a very unique bait. And I think it captures something that you can't get out of, dare I say, any other bait as far as like in a glide bait out there because it's it's very unique. And like, like Josh said, if you look at it, you're going to be like, there's going to be two people. That looks super good. I think I could... Uh, kind of incorporate that to my fishing or that is so stupid. Why would I ever buy something that I need to have a 10 to one to fish for? <laughs> Cause yeah, if, don't move like that. If you're around fish that absolutely love speed, check it out. If you're around those. So with live scope, I, I, I call them the B 52s, the big old ones that don't like moving super, super quick. If you're around those ones, that's maybe not the best bait for the situation. Um, but if you're around those little fighter jets that are just, flying at Mach 2 everywhere, that's a bait you want to check out. Yeah, dude, it's, uh, and I mean, I think I've talked to another builder, I can't remember who it is off the top of my head, but it's like, you're building a niche, nicher bait for an overall niche group. Like, it's, uh, yep. it's something It's just, that's how, that's the categories that it falls into. That's just, that's how it works. <laughs> yep. And I mean, there's there's a lot of people that get turned away by the price tag on it, but it it's one of those things. Like the the material lamination process takes a ton of time. It takes me twice, a little over twice as long to make one darter as it does to make an OG. Oh, it just, okay. It it takes so much time to make one because like that material up top, like you've got to do a bunch of stuff to it in order for it to even accept paint or anything. So it's it's a crazy labor intensive bait, but 
yeah, it's it's just the economics of it. It it I I there's there's no way that I can I can sell it for the price of an OG and be able to justify it at all. It just there's no yeah. there's no way that I can make it work. Right. And uh I mean it reflects not only how much it goes, how much time goes into making said bait, but to what the hardships were to to get this bait where it's at now. Like you talked about the OGs being yeah. fined, you know, close to we'll say half a dozen to a dozen times just to keep the numbers simple. And it's like it takes a lot to make a bait. It's just kind of full circle what we talked about earlier. Like you're always, especially you, you said you're always thinking about what can I do in a six month period to make this bait better and more effective than it was six months ago. And if you spend, you know, a hundred man hours and countless hundreds of thousands of dollars onto a bait, like you kind of need to rebuttal the funds at some point when, when that bait is ready to be sold. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've, I've done some shows and stuff where it you don't necessarily have a swim bait crowd there. Um, and what I've said is like, look, I, I know they're expensive bait and it takes a special person to throw that. Um, but if there, there's a lot of craftsmanship that goes into this, and if you're looking for something super cheap, there's a bunch of Chinese knockoffs down the way that are 20 bucks a pop. Have it those. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly you're, <laughs> you're, you're not going to get the, the quality or the product that you get if you spent the money, you get what you pay for. But if you're just looking to go the cheap route, there's a million people that are painting Chinese knockoffs. Yeah, dude, that's just exactly what it comes down to. No, I, <laughs> I know that's I, probably some controversial the truth for some people, but it's, I it's mean, the- <laughs> yeah, it's like literally it's, it's how, how it is. And I mean, I, I think a lot of people listening know this fact and, and, uh, are are very on par with what you said because that's just that's how, that's how it is. If you're not, I don't know. I don't. I can't. Oh, yeah, this, this I don't know how to get into people, it with my words. <laughs> this is this is the crowd to agree with that. These are the people that are paying thirteen hundred bucks for a Hankle trout. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, man. And so we talked about the darter. We talked about the OG. The other, the I mean, this this is a more niche bait than than the darter is, and um. You got, I mean, if you go, if you went on his page to go check out the swim video, this probably caught your eye when you're scrolling through. You have a version of the OG glide that is very massive. What's it weigh? Oh. Like a pound and a okay. half? Hold on. So that's actually the new, that's oh, an exaggerated, that's the, exaggerated okay. version okay. of the new boss. Um, okay. And okay. That actually preceded the boss. Uh, I was just hanging out at home, bored one night just mess around on CAD because that's what I do when I'm bored um, and made up just a giant bait and it ended up uh, just describing pulling power just great like it I'm sure you've probably seen the vid or people have seen the video of it swimming in the tank it's done very very well on social media stuff but like it's a 16 inch bait weighs 24 ounces it's massive and I did buy a special musky rod to throw it. Um, and uh, the first, the first thing everyone asks is like, "Oh, is is this for real?" Yeah, yeah, it actually swims. Um, swims actually very well. Uh, and I have thrown it on a few little local lakes and stuff on some like laydowns that everyone goes up and flips. And it's had schools of like three to four pounders come out after it. It's crazy. Yeah. 
I believe that <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, you watch the videos of the big ass manifold or even dude, honestly, like the mother chaser, like you yeah. see these videos, um, of these 16 inch baits doing it and like in Japan, I don't know. It, it could be a very niche, even more niche than the swim bait thing in the U S here, but there's, there's a video and they talk about how they have these search baits, search lures, search swim baits, glide baits, whatever, you, whatever they're called. I, I don't understand Japanese that well. Uh, <laughs> you but mean they, they're not fluent in Mandarin? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, uh, they talk about how they have these just absolutely massive baits, and it's more or less like what we would call a search bait, but obviously times 10. They yeah. are using these baits to see where these huge fish are. Like from my perspective is it or my understanding is they go through, they'll cast these I mean, casting is an understatement though. They'll, they'll lob these big ass baits where where they're where these big fish are suspected of being. They'll fish it back and they'll see these fish more or less school up with the drawing power of this this bait. And uh they'll they'll do a round of their milk run wherever, test out these spots, and then that's kind of where they figure out where they're gonna target from that day. And yeah. I, that could that could be completely speaking out of my ass, but I, I have seen at least one damn video where they talk about it like that. <laughs> I swear. But it sounded it's good. That sounded real right. Yeah, really. it's on YouTube somewhere. Uh-huh. You guys can go dig and search for it, but I know it's there. They talk about a search bait. Yeah. No, I mean, and truth be told, I've got zero intentions of ever selling this thing. I really don't see it as practical. Um, five casts and your arm is going to be absolutely destroyed. Yeah, if your uh, rod doesn't break first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I've got the biggest rod I could find, and it just, it's still not there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it was, it was fun to make, just for kind of, for jokes and everything, and to kind of demonstrate to people, like, oh yeah, we're at a show, people are walking by, they get their eye caught by a giant bait, and they're like, what's that thing? I was like. And they're looking at the other baits and everything, and they're looking at the OG, and I'm like, yeah, that demonstrates drawing power. That's the exact same. The reason why you're at this booth is the exact reason why fish like to follow these big baits. They're curious about it. Um, I mean, they also follow it because they're aggressive and territorial, but I'm not going to try to demonstrate that at a show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to fend the people off when they get by your booth to show the territory. Yeah, I'm not going to throw at stuff or get in some dude's personal space just to try to get them like, see, this is why. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you, do you usually have, uh, a more economic version of the boss sitting there and you're like, okay, th- this is, this is like to show you what the extents of this bait is, but here is the version that'll be able to buy. Or do you kind of leave them hanging on that, that portion? You just show them the darter in the OG. Well, so I've, the production on the boss has been very, very slow. Um, I've got, I finally got it finalized to be exactly how I wanted it for now i i guess i'll revisit it in six months but i finally got it exactly to where i wanted it to be so we're starting to kind of roll it out and i think at the last show i had nine of them total and i held three back for each day of the show and they were all gone within the first 10 minutes um so it's like i yes and no like i i have a version that's going to be available but it's it's hard for me to make enough right now. Yeah. Is uh does the boss have any special building techniques like the darter does, or is it all 
quote so, it's a basic resin pouring. It's a basic resin pouring, but it's it's its own deal. Um the kind of physics of it, I so first of all, I, I could make it act like super wide glide, super slow. I mean super wide glide, super smooth, like if I made it a lot wider of a profile. But I noticed that if if I kind of start venturing down that avenue, it takes away from the magic of this bait. So when I gave this bait to my first initial eight people that I trust for honest feedback and stuff, seven of them came back saying that they had encounters with absolutely massive fish. So like, I don't know if, if you know kind of the size of fish that kind of come from table rock, usually they cap out cap out at about seven pounds like that's that's an absolute giant giant from table rock um there's one day kind of filming down there that we had some that were pushing that eight to ten class range come up and bite it Mm -hmm. which is insane um now the hook hanger locations were not right on that bait i did not have rotating hook hangers there's a lot that went wrong that we ended up losing a lot of those fish. But I'm sure, I don't know if you've seen the drone footage of, I, I had the drone up over those locations and that was, yeah, we, we, we got super, super lucky about having the drone up at the right time and got some absolutely massive fish to hit a bait uh, or a 10 inch bait. But yeah, like the, the physics, the, the profile of it made it for really interesting waiting. So like the ballast, hardly fits in the bottom of it so like you've got to have a certain amount of weight to be able to keep that bait ballast on its profile so you've got to have x amount of weight in the bottom for the buoyancy and everything um that bait required so much ballast but it was so thin at the bottom it was really really hard to get that to work does that make sense yeah no it makes sense so like yeah from from a bait performance standpoint could have made it swim way way wider if i would have gone down a different different avenue with it like i could have made it look awesome on a swim bait reviews video on youtube but that would have taken away from the magic of this bait that would have taken away from what makes this bait have a triggering mechanism on just the biggest fish in those bodies of water um kind of a little behind the scenes thing we took this thing down to oh ivy um this early winter we were down there during the wrong time we were down there on a heat wave and if if anyone knows stuff about that lake those fish get a really bad case of lockjaw when it's super warm um so we were up against a serious wall there uh but um we were waiting them down sinking them in front of fish and I'd say 99% of the bass that we put this thing in front of would at least come up to it and look at it and get it super fired up about it. No Maybe shit. not necessarily hit. Um, like I said, horrible timing. Horrible time to catch them on a glide bait. The worst conditions you could ask for. But at least we were able to really get a reaction out of these fish and get them fired up over a bait. Um, I had a buddy that down there that was throwing a different glide. That's a super how do i say this like one of the most notoriously badass baits on the market like just 
super known for catching giants. And this thing was outperforming that as far as like looks like five to one. It was, it was crazy. Like I, I, and I know like no one's going to believe me because like, Oh, well you made the bait, you're fluffing it up and stuff, whatever. But this, this, that's actually stuff that happened. Like this bait is getting attention from the absolute monsters in the body of water that you're fishing. And it's, it's, it's all about the physics behind it, all about the water displacement, all about the swim. Is it going to swim as good as some, or like from a person's visual standpoint as some of the other stuff on the market? No. But if it catches giants, what? Why does it need to? Yeah, right. Damn, dude. That I know that's crazy. a diatribe there and kind of went down a rabbit hole, but that's, that's kind of the nature behind the boss. No, dude, that's like, it's so crazy to hear when a builder talks about what their bait does special because, I mean, the builder knows the best. Like, they know, they, they watch this bait, they tweak this bait to, to do what they wanted it to. And so it's always fun to hear, like, that's, I, I said it's fun to talk to builders, and that's why. It's, it's fun to hear why they designed a bait, what they say this bait excels at, and it's just... I don't know. It, you get an insight on something uh, on a product that that you can buy, and it's so cool. Like you don't get yeah. to hear, you don't get to hear the guy who owns Nintendo talk about why the Switch is, is the best gaming console, and like what it does special compared to every other one. And that's like it's yeah. super cool to talk to a bait builder because they do talk like that. You do get to hear him say stuff like that. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've fished with a lot of other glide baits on the market. Like I'm I'm a sw- swim bait freak. I I love it. I love every every aspect of it. I've thrown a ton of them. I still throw a bunch of them. But like this thing is I it it's it's crazy. Like if I didn't make this thing, I'd still buy it. Like it's 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 uh, I've never seen a single bait have as much effect on the absolute giants in a body of water as this bait. And Damn. that's it's yeah, like, like I said, no one's gonna believe me because it's the bait builder talking about his bait, and he's of course he's gonna preach it up. But like, no lie, this thing is, I'm I'm super excited to go throw it every single chance I get. Right? Yeah. Uh, have Have you caught a lot of fish on it, or have you not gotten to kind of fish it as much because you're you are the mad scientist in the lab? No, I've I've caught a lot of fish on it. Um, not a lot of small ones. Um, I caught seven and a quarter, some sixes, bunch of fives. Like it's once once I figured out that hook placement deal and adding the rotating hook hangers to it, um, it basically just it made that hook to land ratio way better. So basically, kind of kind of a deep or not a deep dive, but kind of a gloss over of of the design aspect of it. So basically they're hitting that head pretty far forward on it. Um, yeah. and the fish I was catching would be on the back hook hanger and then the corner of the mouth. So basically they're hitting this bait really high and really head forward. So I was able to move that front hook hanger forward a little bit. Like if you look at the bait, it's going to almost be a little unnaturally forward, but that's there for a reason. And that's because it's going to, it's got a better chance of catching that fish there. That back hook hanger is quite a bit more forward to try to get a better grasp at that back corner of the jaw. Um, I originally had three-aught hooks on it because it is a bigger bait. 
I ended up going with a two-aught short shank hook, and that's specifically to bring the points up tighter to the body to be able to increase that kind of like, when, when they're going, basically that initial drone shot that we got of those big ones hitting it and missing it told me that they were hitting too high on it and basically the hook points were dangling too low below the bait. So moving those hook points up tighter to the body allowed for a higher hookup ratio. Right, yeah. Does that make sense? No, yeah, makes sense okay. for sure. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. drone shot really helped me determine what was going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you literally get to see it at a, pers- a bird's eye perspective and and see you see something that not other builders get to see unless they're doing that same thing and, and get lucky enough to to see a fish lucky enough or unlucky enough get to see a big fish come up and miss that bait and kind of break down on 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 where where you should go about putting the hooks the the things that that fish is going to bite onto (laughs) yeah no and my my buddy that basically lost his pb and almost back-to-back cast verified by a drone um he was almost in tears when he saw the playback of like oh those fish were really that big (laughs) like really they were that close to getting it seriously (laughs) That couldn't have gone right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so damn crazy. It was rough, but learned a lot. Yeah. And is that what you caught your, your seven on to begin 2023 with was the boss? Yep. Dude. Yeah. I mean that, that speaks for it in itself, I guess. Like I said, go check out his profile, go scroll through some pictures yeah. and, and you guys will see like this, that he he's not, he's not fluffing it up. It, it's legit. That's just, so all, all we can say is go check out the page because that, that's where the proof is, is in the pudding right there right now. Yep. I was, I was nervous about the rotating, like just testing the rotating hook hangers and stuff like, oh, are these going to hold and everything? Like yeah. make sure I've got it right and everything. And I think boat flipping a seven and a quarter on the back hook hanger is pretty good. Pretty good evidence that it's going to work out pretty well. Yeah. That's <laughs> good enough for me, man. Uh, <laughs> kind of closing it down, funneling it, yeah. funneling it in for the night. Is there anything you, we talked about the boss for the last 10, 15 minutes, and that was kind of what it seems like the big thing for you and clutch is for, for 2023. Is there anything else? Oh, in the boxes, we talked about that earlier. Yep. Can't forget about the boxes. Is there anything else in 2023 that you want to tease or hint at that that's down the shoot or are those kind of the two main things that you're focusing on and, and what you're pushing for, for 2023? So I've, I've always got a million projects going on at once. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, last year we came out with a soft swim bait. Um, oh, we've kind of dude, pulled we, that back a lot. Yeah, um, we completely grazed over that. <laughs> I yeah, should mo- fucking put that in the notes. <laughs> well, it, it's it's all good because we're we're working on we're gonna have a reintroduction of it just because like we kind of released it and then I realized like oh the packaging on a soft swim bait really makes the bait. It's either gonna be a flop or it's gonna make it good and we had really, really bad packaging to start. So I'm working on designing clamshell packaging right now. And the guy that pours them up is we're getting thermoformers, getting plastic in. We're going to start manufacturing our own clamshell packaging per my design uh, here in the next couple of weeks. And then once we get that ironed out, hopefully we'll have a reintroduction of that bait with all new packaging and everything. So yeah, Hell yeah that's, we could go down a rabbit hole of another hour with that <laughs> thing, but we, we don't need to. <laughs> Tonight. We gotta we gotta leave some stuff for uh for part two part two of this. So we'll 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 leave some stuff on the table for people people wondering. They, like I said, they can they can go scroll on your page and and see the clamshell yeah. package that you had posted and and see the swim videos of the softies and and leave them wanting more. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, man, uh, 
shout out the shout out the socials shout out anybody that uh that you want to give a shout out for helping you get to where you are today or or nobody i don't care just just shout out people so follow clips one bit co facebook instagram tiktok uh youtube um big shout out to my buddy at temptation tackle who is uh pouring up the soft swim baits great dude if you need any flipping baits or anything like that to a custom color contact him um guy that's local that's awesome awesome dude that's kind of flies under the radar is a uh, top shelf tackle makes line through swim baits he's been doing it for like 12 15 years oh makes wow. awesome awesome products so check him out as well hell yeah man yeah. and then uh crap there was something else i was gonna ask that went along with that uh da, 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 da. Oh, where where can people find your baits when there are drops, whether that be on your site or a tackle shop site? I know you just did a drop on another site, but for people who yeah. don't know. So follow the Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we've got a subscription deal on the website where I just, the only emails I'll send out is notifying you of bait drops. Um, so it's either going to happen on my site or baitworks.com. Um, we've kind of got a little deal going with them where they do drops every once in a while. So uh yeah, it's either going to be my side or Baitworks, and make sure. I mean, I'll always let you guys know when the drops are on my social media stuff. Hell yeah, man! And then where can they find you on the uh, the all the platforms? What what are the usernames that they can find you at? Uh, should just be at clutchswimbaitco.com and little underscores between each word there. So, Perfect. like always, uh, I'll I'll leave that in the description for the people to find. Appreciate it. Other than that, I think that is about it. Anything else that you want to you want to close the show out with? Not really. I mean, I I appreciate it. Um, I know there's a lot of bad stigmatisms out there. I don't know if stigmatisms the right word there about guys that make brush tail glides. Um, but look, there's there's a lot of work that goes into these things. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that a lot of people don't necessarily know about. Um, so yeah, check 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 my stuff out. If if you've ever got a problem with any one of my baits, reach out to me. I will. I stand behind my stuff hundred percent. If it's not doing something right, if if I screwed up somehow, I will hundred percent make it right. So, just get a hold of me if you've ever got an issue with any one of my products. Hell yeah, dude! One thing, big question I forgot to yep. ask you: Where did the name Clutch Slim Bay Co come from? Where did that first part of the word come? First part of the name come from? If you can elaborate real quick for us, we were fit so. Back in the early kind of parts of me making swim baits, we started throwing these in tournaments and stuff. And me and my brother were fishing tournament, lo- little local lake, and uh, we had four in the box yep. all day long. Last 15 minutes, I catch a four and a half pounder on the OG. Boat yeah, flip it. We put it in the box, run, win the tournament. We're like, that was a clutch fish. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly where it came from. That's what I figured. I, I, I had a I had a speck <laughs> in my mind. I was like, it's it's just a clutch thing. Like when somebody yep. makes a basket, a buzzer beater, that was so clutch. And like I, I bet you that's where it's from, but I better ask just to make oh, sure. <laughs> yep. That was very yeah. <laughs> Perfect, man. Um, like always, I will leave all of Josh's stuff in the description for you guys to uh, to go follow him on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. You have a YouTube? I can't remember if you said YouTube. Yes, I do. Yes, YouTube. Okay, so I will leave all that stuff under the little socials thing that I usually type out for everybody. All Josh's stuff will be in there with his username, so go follow him on all the platforms and stay up to date on when the drops are. Uh, 
Other than that, make sure you guys follow the podcast on Instagram, scales and tails underscore podcast. Uh, when you guys are hearing this, there won't be much going on. All the stickers will be sold. But if you guys missed out on the uh, the Swimbaits Forever Wu-Tang inspired sticker, make sure you guys go grab one of those. The giveaway had already been ran when you guys hear this, but it's a super sick sticker that a lot of freaking people like. So I got to make sure that those stay in stock so you guys can rock those. Other than that, make sure you guys keep an eye out on the magazine. This was like, if you guys listen to it, this is like the, well, if you hear this, you've obviously freaking listened to it. So it's like the <laughs> most in-depth I talked about the magazine without posting about it like publicly. So if you guys made it this far, obviously kudos to you and you guys, you guys know where the idea is coming from. It's not out of left field type random thing that I had thrown together. Um, other than that, sub to the Patreon, $5 a month. You automatically get entered to, to the uh, the sticker, so you don't have to pay. You save a dollar, and you don't have to worry about buying it. It automatically gets shipped out to you. Then if you pay $10 a month, you get in on all the behind-the-scenes stuff. So, like, the Patreon guys knew about the magazine, like, weeks ago. So that was super cool to to share with those those guys who support me. And I think that is about everything. So, like I said, as always, Josh's stuff will be in the description. Make sure you guys go give him a follow. Make sure you guys uh, follow the podcast on Instagram. Also. Make sure you guys rate the podcast on your listening platform. Make sure you rate it truthfully. Always, always super nice to to see when guys give it that four or five stars. Makes me makes me feel good. And makes me realize that hey, maybe maybe I maybe I don't need to be so hard on myself. Maybe I'm doing a good job. But other than that, I want to thank Josh for coming on. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's a little bit of a long one, but it's super good in my opinion. I I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, really fun to talk to bait makers, like I said, and especially it's fun to talk to guys who are kind of low key. I think Josh is is super low key in um in our little swim bait group as of now, but I think when when guys start to hear about the darter and see the swim videos and see the fish that are getting caught on it, I think maybe maybe the darter the darter is just a bait that stands out to me because I like to fish fast and you guys know that. So <laughs> I'm very excited to see what clutch swim bait can do throughout the whole rest of the 2023 season and like I said we'll have him on again probably towards towards the end of 2023 and we'll we'll elaborate on the year successes year successes that he's had so as always I want to thank you guys for listening I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will talk to you guys next time see you guys